Well, the video starts, right? Or... Here we go. Yeah, yeah. So, hello, everyone, and welcome to another PAP chat, productivity app chat. I love it. Uh, and here we talk about productivity tools, methodology, philosophy, and everything in between. And today we have Bass back on, Bass from Tools on Tech, the YouTube channel, where you're mm -hmm. on, what was it, three weeks ago now, I think, talking about uh, app security and privacy. Yeah, it was something like that. Like, I didn't keep track exactly but i know it was really interesting just talking about all the security issues that and the questions that people had and i think i think that the main takeaway there was like we need to do another session because we didn't even touch jira yet uh, yeah which was one of the topics we wanted to talk about yeah exactly and as for those of you that are familiar with the stream we can we can talk for um a couple of hours quite easily and suddenly go oh the time uh and uh, as you'll see down the bottom if you want to ask any question at any point you can put the emoji question mark in chat uh and then i i, I won't lose it essentially and um yeah and I, I stream on twitch every day during the week so if you do have any questions or any conversations you want to be a part of then uh i'm over there so today jira trello well i i've explored the the atlassian suite a little bit Mm -hmm. And I'm familiar with the features of them, but Jira, from my understanding, is more of a a code developer project management application alongside GitHub. Am I along the right lines there? Yeah, partially. It started mostly as like for software developers that that was their core business basically. And Jira is huge, as in both the application and the user base. The application itself is, is really high rate. Like I, I manage one Jira installation and there's nothing I want to get rid of more than that one because it's Java. It takes up tons of memory, like much more like most VPSs that you rent have like two to four gigs of memory if you're lucky. And Jira goes like, hey, I would like eight. And I'm going like, no, you get free. And it's like, that's not enough. You'll have to do. And it's... Yeah, so it's it's really like they're they're stopping with that, and I think that's obvious because tweaking a a Jira built application like that just takes expertise, and uh, expertise even I lack. I mean, if I I could, but I would have to spend days reading up for one app, and that's just not worth it. It's like uh, so. I just so how, don't want to manage it. Yeah. So how long had have you been using Jira in in workflow for? I, I would imagine team management rather than personal. Uh, as long as I remember, so that's probably fifteen years, something like that. Because Jira's old, it's like, um, and they came to the scene, and then of course, let, let's let's be frank, it, it did get better over time, but it was absolutely unusable when I got started with it, and it's one of the reasons it gets a lot of hate, because a lot of people work with it in the beginning, and then were like, this is unusable, and then they became better, but. It still became sluggish and out of the box. It's just not as user friendly. And they're really trying now. They're doing like the next gen board. But the problem is a bit that you have like the power users, the people that are used to the classic gen board with all the features and stuff. You can make like complete flows and complex stuff in there that really tune your workflow. And then you get the next gen, which is basically Trello Lite in a way. And they're really trying to add features, but it takes too long. So either I'm in a next-gen board and I'm constantly going like, I wish I could do that. And I know I can do it, but then I have to be in the classic board. Or I'm in the classic board and go like, why do I have to set up 16 different forms just to add one field to my, uh, to my schedule? And I know which buttons to click, but it's still a pain. It's like, 
all the other apps I know are much easier to just add a field to it. And definitely when you're using something like Notion on a daily basis, where just click plus and then type enter. Excellent, we have an extra field. The stark contrast there is painful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's it's actually something I've uh, poorly good to see you and Yusuf and Nerdy Notioner. Uh, it's it's something I've seen in like in my exploration of tools apps. Uh, a lot of the the more recent applications make the the adding on the customization really seamless is a word I want to use, but mm -hmm. some of them aren't necessarily seamless. It's it's more logical. Um, yeah. Tools. Oh, you you've commented in chat. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Tech, you're here. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, now it's. See, seeing the the newer apps, you start to think, okay, some of these older applications are they just going to go just out of out of trend, maybe? Because I, I feel applications fit in that that fashion trend, that that humor trend, the video trend. There's there's a trend with the apps. Notion is certainly at the top of that trend right now. Yeah, <laughs> true. Uh, I think that the, like if you look at the old trend, it used to be that for applications like Jira, large companies they would just hire a consultant. So some dude flew in set up the system perfectly for that company you pay them twenty thousand euros or more because it's that we're talking these kind of amounts and then they just tweak it and then they would come back every three months for another five thousand just to tweak settings for people and the world has changed the world has grown to a point where people go like but i can do this myself and all these other apps why do i have to pay for the jira bit i mean if we're talking painful setups then we'll talk sup at some point and nobody wants to do that um and that's that's something you notice with something like Jira. It's super powerful, and if you're trying to get like a certain workflow set up, or you need like customability or flexibility and the plugin system in it, you can do nearly everything with it. But you need to know someone who can configure it for you, because figuring it out on your own, and if you compare that to other apps, it just takes too long. Unless you're doing this professionally, day in day out, like I did for a long while, um, it's just not worth the effort. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it, that's kind of why. So that's why I titled the stream "Tech Savvy Toolkit" because I feel like mm -hmm. some of these tools you need to be tech savvy to even be able to use them to to actually use them to their full potential. Potentially, like mm -hmm. whatever you want to say, you you need an understanding of how the tools work, the behind the scenes of some of the things to even get the 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 use out of them. Unlike simple yeah. things like to do this, to do this, you can just go in and it's easy, sorted, done. Yeah. Other tools you need a. Uh, an element of understanding of tech to actually use them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is true. <laughs> Yusuf, mm -hmm. yeah, I uh, I can't stream every minute of every day. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to stream. So for, for reference, I stream at the weekends on YouTube in the evenings. And then during the day, I can actually do some other stuff rather than just streaming on Twitch the whole time. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, Mr. Zin, you would have wanted Danny to stream or as in... As uh, he did stream. Uh, okay. No, I, I didn't stream. I didn't stream uh, earlier, Paulie. So we've, we've gone through Jira a little bit. We've gone through Trello a little bit. Tech Savvy. We, and we went through a lot of your apps that you used last time. Yeah. You, you mentioned before you wanted to talk about the, the Vim world and editors yeah. and that sort of stuff. Yeah, because like uh, I watch your video and you're going like, I'm going to use Vim. And I'm like, welcome to the dark side. It's like, <laughs> or the good side. Depends a bit on which side of the debate you are. I mean, you've probably heard about Emacs if you came into Vim's direction. And basically, there's two camps. You get the Emacs camp and the Vim camp. And 
Well, you know, both have their own share of fans, and I'm clearly on the on the Vim side. I like a lightweight editor that I can just expand on. Um, and that's a rabbit hole you're going in there because it's I'm 20 years in, and I, I'm looking at other people. I think last week I was looking, and I was like, wait a minute, you have all these numbers on the side. It allows me to quickly select how many rows I need. Where do I find that? It's like 20 years in, and I didn't know that that feature was in Vim. So it's ridiculous how deep that rabbit hole goes. And it's yeah, very I've hard to use it. as well. <laughs> I've got that in my obsidian as well, so I can navigate yeah. around everywhere. Ah, nice. Yep. Yeah, it's a plugin. It's literally called like relative line number. So easy. And I was looking at the yeah. JavaScript for it, and it's really simple as well. And that. So Vim, for me, is an extension onto an app. And like I mentioned in the video, the, the I left Notion video, it was towards the end, so I'm not, I'm not sure whether everyone saw the bit. Mm -hmm. But I, I said, um, the, the best app is the one you build for yourself. But mm -hmm. no one's really going to do that. <laughs> no one's got the no. time, <laughs> the effort, the energy, the skill to, to do that. Um, so it's yeah. finding an application that gives you the baseline, but gives you the, the option to, to add a plugin, to add something there, or manipulate it in some way. Mm -hmm. I feel like some of the tools that we have now, Notion being one of them, is a great tool, but I think does too much for some people and not enough for others. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like like often the case, like building up things and trying to figure it out. But very often, like things that just are limited for people. Like there's always the, the balance. I mean, you have like a target audience. Like if you look at something like Notion, the target audience is broad because it stays simple so you can easily get into it. And then if you look in something like Vim, which is a very technical audience, it's it's hard to get into. There's actually a video game just to learn Vim. It's uh and and there's a few things that you have to wrap your head around, but then of course that then that the sky's the limit. And I think that in most applications, uh, plugins or extensions are usually what allow both parties to enter. Like, start with a basic app and then add the extension so you can t customize it to your need without bulking up the core functionality of it. So, do you, have you have you built many plugins for for applications to to change them at all? Uh, not that many. Um, as a Linux user, though, I've I've done a lot of shell scripting. So on, on Linux, you can like send text towards a script and then they can do something with it and then return something. And with Vim, for example, I can select a bunch of text and then just send it through something, like send it through a sort if I want to sort it or something which actually takes data out of it. I think I did things like uh, scan for Jira ticket numbers and then turn them into a URL, for example, so that I don't have to constantly copy and paste it. I could just type the short ticket name and then know that like I run a script and it fixes it. So those are most of my things. Any day-to-day -day administration tasks that I script. Extending software, I, I'm not a developer that much. I did extend WordPress a couple of things. So I, I did some PHP and some Perl back in the day, but uh, <laughs> extensions are usually, I, I just lose interest halfway. I'm like, oh, like nah, I just, I'll just work another way around it to automate it. Yeah, and I, I feel like a lot of us do that. Hello, Kevin, good to see you. Uh, I feel like a lot of us do that with, I mean, I know we all do in Notion. Like, mm -hmm. I can't be bothered to to do this or to do that, so I'm just going to find a workaround. It might be clunky, but it works. <laughs> yeah. Re recurring tasks being one of those things. Instead of using Notion, we use 
a list of opportunities out there or <laughs> something inside of Notion that's a bit of a hacky workaround. Like, there's so many different things you can do. And yeah. I think that's where the, the tech savviness, <laughs> whether that's a word, I don't know whether it is now. Tech savviness yeah. is now a word. Um, but the, the, the ability to work things around, is, I think, is a skill moving forwards. We're going to have to use, ir irrespective of what app, tool, thing we use. I mean, even if it's email, <laughs> how do you use filters? Do you use filters in your email? Do you even have filters or tags? Like <laughs> I think mine is a mile long filters on Gmail and stuff. It's uh, ridiculous what I do. Uh, I've got automatic filters, for example, if I get a PDF from an invoice, because I have a company that auto forwards it to facturesturer.nl, which is my accounting software in the Netherlands. And that one OCRs it and gets like the name and the amounts out of it. So if somebody doesn't send me a PDF invoice by email, I'm just furious. I mean, my last com phone company, I complained for days to them. Saying like you remove the functionality that I needed. It's like we stop sending you PDFs. It's like, yes, this is like me asking me to go to your office to get the bill. This is I went from zero effort to five minutes of effort. And to you, that not, doesn't sound like much. <laughs> but to someone who does automation, that's a whole lot. And I've I've installed Vim just so instead of going on my on my keyboard, instead of moving my hand to the arrow key to go up, I push J. <laughs> Yeah, so, so five minutes is a lot. Oh, man, you're really finicky. Like the ATKI, I tried getting used to that, but I'm just still an arrow guy, even though I know that they're there and I know how to use them. Because I use them in other apps all the time, but I like Fim, I came too late to the party, basically. So my brain has already been wired so much that I'd have to spend a lot of effort to unlearn. And a friend of mine actually disabled his arrow keys to force him to move <laughs> his hand towards the ATKL uh, setup. See, it's it's funny because I thought I thought I was going to struggle with Vim, like really struggle, because using mm -hmm. JKL and all the stuff and having to go backwards and forwards between command mode and was it index mode, whatever it's called, the typing yeah. mode. But going back, I thought, oh my god, this is going to take so long. Took me two days, two days, yeah. like on stream, just fiddling to be fair so i said this with uh, avon i think it was last week's stream i've used i'm using vim in obsidian and i've mapped my escape key to control space so i don't have to put my left finger like all the way to the top of the keyboard to hit the escape so it's like control space <laughs> to, to go in and out of things so, oh, that's, but, uh, that's, a, that's a smart move yeah because uh i know that they removed the escape key from the mac at some point it became one of those soft buttons oh. and when they did that, a friend of mine is an avid Mac user. And I looked at it and go like, you live in FIM. How are you going to deal with this? Because <laughs> it's like the, the key is not there. And it's not a big problem because they can make like a soft key so you can still press something. But one, this is a key that I don't think about. It's like one of those like ingrained movements. So you don't want to think about it. And two, if Mac for some reason decides that they want to show you something else, like the media player or something, he can't exit Vim because he can't get back to the command mode, which is hilarious the first time that happened. I mean, they just started laughing for five minutes at him. It's like, that's that, that's what you get that 4,000 euro laptop for, definitely. So you can't access Vim anymore, which was oh, fun. It's so true. And the thing is, right, the thing that makes it, the, the thing makes it funny is there are so many people with the same issue. <laughs> And the companies just don't do anything. It's like anytime Apple changes something, uh, you see the, the Marcus B or 
uh, MKHB, like you see his channel, and they've, they've removed this or changed that or they've done this. Uproar. <laughs> Uproar. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, Yusuf asked a question uh, a few minutes ago. Yeah. Directly to you, Vimium. Yeah, I've used Vimium for a while. You would love it, Danny, I'm sure. Because it's an extension for the browser, and that makes everything in your browser run on keyboard commands with Vim. Ooh. Yeah, the asset. And <laughs> I did try it for a long while to get used to it, but I'm so used to my Chrome shortcuts already, and I can always do like 90% of the things, that at some point it was just like, yeah, this is more effort than it's worth. And every time my girlfriend wanted to use my Chrome browser, it's like, uh, how does this work? And then I have to start like a new profile thing on it. So for the browser, I don't use it, but I do recommend it because it's a wonderful extension uh, and it's a bit getting used to it. I do use like the uh, one of the buttons that I use that shows me the, um, the letter. So I can type like two letters to click a link and I don't use that one enough because I constantly forget the uh, command, but it's, it's like a, a keyboard navigation uh, and it's from the Vimium one. And that's the one that I, that I miss most or that I try to find a workaround. Because it, it's amazing. You press a button, everything gets like a couple of letters, and it's like, oh, I need that link, and then IL, and then it goes to that link or Y1. Um, but it becomes less and less needed. And for Todoist, Todoist has like an extension specifically to add keyboard commands to everything, which I still think is ridiculous. I mean, I think I already told the help desk of Todoist twice, like hire the guy, import this, because this is what you need. Like, I can't use Todoist without this. Why is this not standard? Is everything keyboard? Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's actually funny that you mentioned that. The amount of times, I mean, when when I look at most people's Obsidian space or Rome space or insert application space, mm -hmm. there's a plugin that someone's got from a community somewhere. You're like, just just like ad adopt it. Just <laughs> just just take the plugin and make it natural. Yeah. And 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 that's the thing. I think most people in the community that can do some sort of Kodi developer plugin mm -hmm. extension, whatever called. They solve the issues that the users want because they're they're like right in the nitty gritty of the community. Yeah. And you're like, app, just just grab it. Like the, the notion enhancer, weekly view still isn't a, a thing native in Notion. Why? <laughs> just, just yes. why? <laughs> Recurring tasks is another one. Like there, there's things that mm. people have solved. Yeah. But the, the main app haven't adopted it. I imagine it's something to do with the developers or the team behind it. I don't know. Really don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, a weekly view shouldn't be um, that hard because usually the data is hard. Uh, and then creating a view on it is possible because you're ready for like a month view and you can make a week view. Of course, the problem with a large company uh, like Notion or at least a large user base is that stuff will break and they will break spectacularly. So what they would need in that case is like a, a good um, a beta setup to just test it over a large set of people and say like, hey, this will probably break a couple of times where we're trying to find all the edge cases. Um, and they're probably too busy with getting the speed up. Maybe. Or just making it like slower because they're doing API and offline work stuff instead. Yeah. But what you brought and, up there was a really good point. You brought yeah. up beta testers. Now, yeah. can, can can we tell everyone what, what has happened to you recently? I've just become a Notion ambassador, so I can do some of the beta testing now. <laughs> yeah, you are now a guinea pig. You are now a guinea yeah. pig. I believe a nerdy Notioner who's also in chat is uh, a Notion ambassador as well. So we've got a fair few. But yeah, so we'll be 
We'll be doing the beta testing and doing the guinea pig in. So uh, when Notion suddenly yeah. crashes, we know about it. <laughs> yeah, like I think I mentioned at some point is like that we we filled there because there were suddenly a lot of records entered, and I'm like, was that Danny? It's like because <laughs> <laughs> you were definitely messing with the front end bit. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I the the thing is though. I think it's just coincidence because it can't. Yeah, it, is. it can't be me. Even even though as a single person, you 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 shouldn't be able to manage that because Amazon skills up to the rockets, and even if it happens, then at most the instance that you're working on crashes, and then there's still a six thousand instances running next to that, so that would only affect a small set of uh, of people. Like that ambassador club, not that I actually look at the Slack. Don't tell Notion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think I've been in the Slack. I think I went in the Slack because uh, an early Notioneer mentioned in a Twitch stream that you were an ambassador and I hadn't said anything. And it's because I just hadn't been in the Slack. And I was like, <laughs> I'll go in the Slack and see who's there. But there are so many people in there now um, yeah, from yeah. all over the world. Amazing community. It is that 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 was a that that's some some really nice work there. I've been to communities where you come in and it's like, okay, great, welcome, good luck figuring it out, and you get into this Notion program and there's immediately like sessions and chats and people that you get to meet and they have like the donut set up so that you can meet other people. So they're really making sure that you know people, um, and that's amazing because I've I've been in a lot of communities and that's some that's some effort there. So mm. they're definitely taking that part serious, which I think is awesome. Yeah, and that's I think I think when when it comes to like Notion in specific, their community is just like second second to none. You can't really beat it. Having said that, though, Notion's transparency to the the rest of the world with what's going on that could be a little bit <laughs> a little bit better. Yeah, that definitely could be a bit better. But that's also really hard, right? Because like when mm. you talk to a small group of people, then that talk to each other as well. If something isn't clear, like they say something which is too technical when people ask questions and I happen to be in Slack, then I'll just help out there. But once you need to go like through over the whole spectrum, I would like all the technical nitty gritty details. I just know I won't get it from the usual stream because 99% of the people wouldn't understand anything uh, of, of that bit of code and go like, but why slow? You know, that's, that's basically what you get back then. And um, yeah, and then, then again, like, like public communication is a totally different beast than, than small group communication. And they've went through a lot of growth. I can see the pain from the outside as, a, as an engineer. Um, and that's going to take a while. And I'm pretty sure they'll fix it because it, it will get their priority. Slowless is their main issue. And I, I've seen slowless at big companies. Like, for example, I've worked for eBay and they had classifieds. And we had Gumtree, which is the classified side for UK. You probably know Gumtree because UK. And I remember that we moved it to a different data center, and this increased the site speed by 8%. 8% isn't a lot. Uh, it doesn't yeah. feel like a lot. That resulted in a net 25 million extra revenue per year. Just because it's sped up by eight percent. Wow! Don't quote me on that. That's what I remember. It was around that ballpark. It was at least an amount of money that you would go like, "Wow, that gets like an impact on it." And that's from way back because we're talking at least a decade ago when we did that. So that was also uh, a large 
much larger chunk than these days because we're using the internet more and more over time. But that, that tells you how important the site speed is. People have a very short attention span. Oh, yes. I, I, I can even, I'm like, I'm going to hold my hand up. Like, if a website's taking longer than like three or four seconds to load, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. I'm gone. Uh, that's, that's the world we live in. Mm, yeah. That, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. And I, th I think the the speed of applications i would imagine has something to do with the the amount of features in the app because there's there's more stuff for it to do uh, i don't know well, enough about behind the scenes i was going to say well yeah i'm i'm going to work on a on a video on that one cuz i really want to talk about like what goes behind and try to get that in like a normal uh, something which everybody can understand because there's a lot of uh, things that people don't know like i i saw one of your videos that somebody said like uh, was it again I didn't really fully understood what like how scaling happens. It's like, oh yeah, because a lot of stuff happens server side these days. But actually that doesn't because a lot of work these days is done by our web browsers. If you look in your memory usage from your browser and you go to Gmail, for example, I'm not sure everybody's, but on mine, it's usually somewhere between 350 MB when I get started and two gigabytes if I wait long enough. And that's because it's not a web page anymore. It's a complete application that happens to talk to the Google API in the background. All the uh, heavy lifting or a lot of the heavy lifting is actually done client side because that scales infinitely. Because, you know. Yeah. So when when applications or web pages are developed, Mm -hmm. Is is it like a general rule of thumb that it's done, like the, the main work is done there, not elsewhere? I, I don't know how it all works, like the connections. That's in process of learning. <laughs> yeah, in process of learning. Like most of the frameworks that are out there these days try to do as much as possible on the browser side. Because the backend, the APIs are usually the place where the backend works. And then the rest, they try to get it to the front end. Because if you get it to the front end, and your API is secure, which is usually yes, because that's what you test against, um, then that means that the only thing that your systems have to do is just send and receive data, which is what they do. If you're working in uh, Google Docs, for example, nothing, but absolutely nothing happens server-side. The only thing that your, your browser is doing next to like the whole typing and everything happening is just sending Google like, bus type the a character bus type the b character you know that's that's what it's sending it's the backspace five times and that's actually what gets logged and that's how they can do live updates because when i type like danny in my uh my my my, my word type uh let's just the word is from microsoft like the, the the word processor from google docs in a google doc i type that uh, danny it sends like bus type Denny to the server. And if you happen to be watching the same document as me, then it sends it straight on to you that says like, hey, bus type this there. And then you see me typing that. And it all looks like we're working together, but actually it's just browsers telling each other what we're doing. And then like the browser doing like, oh, look, I'm bus and then typing stuff in. So we're doing a whole bunch uh, a client side. And that's also one of the reasons why our computers are still this slow because like everything is like constantly uh, chugging uh, and and using lots of memory. So does that mean the more powerful the computer you have or powerful device you have, the better the app will run? Usually, yes. It helps a lot that we have improved the JavaScript engine because in the initial site when the JavaScript engine wasn't improved, this is the pre-Chrome era because Chrome really 
started doing that. They started optimizing the JavaScript, and that's how they got their large market share. Because when they came to the field, JavaScript was terrible. And then everything was running in JavaScript, and Google knew they were running stuff in JavaScript because they were writing half the apps people were using that were using that. And then they came with Chrome, and they had like an optimized JavaScript compiler in there. So the only thing people noticed, because me, I look at the back and they're like, oh my God, the JavaScript engine there, that's 10, 10% faster. But what the end users saw was like, hey, if I switch from Firefox to Chrome, my experience gets better. They don't care what's happening under the hood. They just care that it's better. And that was like droves of people moving from one end to the other. It's the same reason I've been using Microsoft Edge as a Linux system administrator and a fanatic Linux user. The fact that I tell my coworkers that I use Microsoft Edge these days means that sometimes they go like, are you feeling okay? <laughs> Is there something you need to tell me? It's like, you know, it's like... but I use it because it uses less memory on my Windows system. And it's like, hey, this is Chrome, but there's less fluff on it. This is how Chrome beat Firefox. So Microsoft finally doing the right thing. And, uh... That is something I've actually heard. And competing browsers is always interesting. There's, there's always competition in tech with, between like small things, big things. Uh, Edge, Chrome, Firefox, and there's loads of other browsers out there. I think everyone goes to Chrome because it's just like the default. I feel yeah. like, and I feel like a lot of a lot of apps that there are sort of like default apps that you think of, e even in this space now. When you think of a task manager like Todoist and TickTick, probably and things three are probably like the, the three yeah. that jump to mind. Doesn't necessarily mean they're the best, even though are all pretty damn good um but they're the, they're the ones that jump to mind and i think like chrome is the yeah. same sort of thing like it just jumps to mind yep edge certainly has a uh what's the word history to uh try and <laughs> try and solve yeah but you you see that they've they've hit the right nerve right because if you see people um raging against edge these days then they immediately get corrected by other people it's like you haven't tried the recent edge yet clearly because it used to be that Edge was just like, it's actually Internet Explorer, but it just fakes that it's Edge. And now they've actually just said, it's just Chrome, but it fakes that it's Edge. And that's the, like that's a good difference there, right? Internet Explorer was horrendous. I mean, they had their place because they moved the Internet as a thing forward. There's a lot of things that Microsoft introduced that we, like um, the whole bit where your browser talks to a server and then things change. That came in Internet Explorer first. That was something that they invented. And that gets the, got them a lot of market share. And everybody adopted that. But that's way back. And then the problem Internet Explorer, of course, had is that they were constantly changing. I mean, I did some web development. And I can tell you anything before Internet Explorer 8 was an absolute nightmare. 8 was just painful. 9 was slight dread. And 10, it became better and better and better. But oh, my God, before that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I, uh, I'm i old enough to have experienced that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's definitely before your time. That's, 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 that's the real Wild West internet where people, like developers, were in pain. There's less pain now because there's 1,600 libraries. And as an infra-engineer, we sometimes joke that the developer tries to get as far away from the hardware as possible. Because it's like the hardware gets in there, then the OS gets there, then they get their um, uh, what is it? The, 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 the web server gets in there, then you get the engine side in there, then there's a framework, then there's another framework on top of that, then there's JavaScript. They, they basically try to get as far away from whatever it feels like hardware as possible, and then they write their code in there. That, um, but that also means that all those extra layers add bulk, and that's why we have these 
really huge JavaScript programs these days. Because I know that Gmail, I picked Gmail as an example very much because Gmail is one of those things, Google can get rid of it. I know that if Google would have the chance, they would dump Gmail in a heartbeat. They tried with Inbox. Because it's it's one of those things that's been growing and growing. You can't clean it up. Mm. Can you imagine like when your hard drive gets filled with with junk at some point and you have to like clean it up? Yeah, and no, you I look at it and go like, clean installs quicker. It's that, and then at a corporate level, we have to invest like a couple of millions to get it fixed. It's like, but you know, everybody's used to Gmail, so then Google stuck with that. That that's their Windows ninety five problem. <laughs> yes, definitely. I, oh, there's so, there's so many things there. Um, what notion, another notion you mentioned in chat? Uh, she she agrees. Uh, I was thinking of moving away from. I assume that's Firefox abbreviation for Firefox. Mm. Um, because it's a memory hog and uh, i mean i still use chrome i'm using chrome like right now how many windows have i got mm -hmm. i've only got two open yeah i've only got two normally when i'm streaming i've got more and whenever i go into my task manager it's like chrome is using all of this and then there are some other <laughs> there are some other apps yeah. down here doing some yeah, stuff that sounds like mine as well uh and, and it's so when i'm using so when using notion or applications that are typically browser based are they still using Chrome or whatever your, your main browser is, or is it using the app? Because it comes up in Task Manager as the app. Is it contributing? Yeah. Is it being contributed by? Um, I'm wondering, like, it's, it's, was it Electron or Electron? Yeah. Or it's, it's one of those uh, names that you see pop up very often. And what it basically is, is like a browser in a box. So the application runs, but it's actually the browser application. And that's, of course, from an engineering standpoint the easiest way you just write one application and you either deploy it to a website or you deploy it inside an electron uh, box which just wraps around it um, this is also one of the reasons why i really like using the install as app or uh, quick shortcut function of chrome slash edge because i'm basically doing the same thing i'm just getting like a window with the application name on it and i don't see any fluff uh, and i can click on the taskbar to jump to it and I know like underwater, there's not much difference. The only difference is, is that that windowed version runs all my extensions, which the app does not. So it's like one of those things where I'm going. Very rarely does the app these days really bring something extra to the table. I mean, Toggle does it a bit with their uh, layout. But then I look at uh, uh, Toggle. I mean, I don't know if you, did, if you use Toggle as a time tracking app, but yeah. they're site isn't dynamic so one of the things that i really like about most web apps is that if i make them small enough you get like the mobile interface and for me what i do when i multitask for example i have a work layout and to do is becomes like this small sidebar and that means that it just goes to the mobile app and i just see my tasks top to bottom and i would love for toggle to do that but it doesn't like if i make it small i just can't click any buttons anymore because it doesn't <laughs> dynamically go to like a mobile site and i feel like why not? You should be doing this. This is 2021. It's like everybody does that except you and YouTube music. Yeah, I, f I feel like it's kind of like it's, it's one of those things where I would say like a, a baseline. There are there are baseline expectations for applications, for whatever type of app, whatever type of website. There's, there's baseline standards you would expect. And that's one of those things. When, whenever I'm making things small, I'm like, why is that so what that doesn't if if the app yeah. doesn't have a mobile version fair enough like obsidian when i when i yeah. make obsidian small 
it's it's literally just a really small version of, of obsidian yeah. uh, and it's all clunky like oh that's the sidebar in the middle of my screen because the middle of my screen is now hidden behind the other sidebar that's behind the side so i'm like get rid of that one get rid of that one now i can see what i'm writing <laughs> it's, yeah it's, yeah. it's great that's like my main pain like i've been looking at obsidian a couple of times and i actually have it running in the background because I was like messing around with it today and every time I hit the same stumbling block and as with Obsidian, you can't open multiple windows and that's part of the uh, framework they picked. So they can't really fix that. Um, and oh my God, that's like, I get that they just want to split the screen and if I would be like a code developer, like I know Visual Studio Code has the same issue. That's not a big issue because then it's usually like one thing you have open and you work in that and you split it up and you can work. But when I'm thinking of notes, then I have multiple virtual desktops and I want to have notes open on all these desktops and I can't with Obsidian. And that becomes like a pain to me because I usually want to have like, for example, two windows open, one where I make like my meeting notes and another window where there's stuff that I need to read about the project. And with Obsidian, I could, but then I could only have one and I would always have to like switch to a different view and then drag it with me to that. So for my workflow, Obsidian doesn't work until they would support any type of multiple windows or if they would make a web browser version because then you initially get that as part of the package, which Obsidian doesn't. So I looked at Rome today and I was going like 15 euros. No, no. It's like, no, <laughs> you can't be that good. Yeah, that's it's the big thing with Rome. It's the big issue I have with Rome. It's not the application at all. I mean, Connor, the, the developer of the app, I think he tweeted, I think it was last week, saying that he's explored Obsidian. It looks really good, but it's not Rome. Rome is yeah. just different. Rome, obviously, he was saying Rome is better. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, well, you have to say that. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, but that's expensive. 50, 15 pounds a month. A month. That's, that's, that, that's, like three times, no, that's two times what I pay for Google Apps. And for Google Apps, I get a lot. I mean, I get Gmail, Google Docs, Meet, like the whole shebang. And that's eight bucks. And I think that uh, eight thirty-three, I believe. And that's corporate. So then I know, for example, that's okay. And with the Rome one with 15, I'm going like, I can like from a corporate perspective, but there's very few tools that I would pay that kind of money for. Um, and then I would need like a longer trial to really know if that's worth it. I mean, I but I paid like twenty bucks for all you can eat uh, stock footage. It's like price difference, and then then that yeah, that really shaves hours of my YouTube editing if I need to get all my jump cuts out of it. Yep. Yeah, it's. I think pricing of applications as well is an interesting one because some some have thirty day free trials. Some mm -hmm. have freemiums where you get certain yeah. certain parts of the, the app for free and then you need to pay for others. And I feel like freemium is a better way if you want to grab a wider audience. Yeah. Because a lot of people, I, I know for me anyway, looking at it as a, a, as a younger individual looking at applications, a 30-day mm -hmm. free trial is not long enough to really understand if an app's going to work for me or not. No, that's true. Just, just if not. you really want to know if an app's for you, then you probably need more time than that. Though after 30 days, I can usually make the suggestion if I know if I want to invest in a couple of months of money to see if it fits. Like, And then it's like, that's learning money. And there's plenty of apps where I just said like, here's 10 bucks, show me what you got. Um, yeah. yeah, completely yeah. agree.
and I don't mind paying for apps. I think that the main change I had with that one was, I think it was Tyco from Penny Arcade. I don't know if you have ever read Penny Arcade, but they do like a gaming site comic thing. And he at some point had like a blog post and he said like, I like the idea that the person that wrote my game review can take that money I gave them to go out and buy a coffee. And that changed my perception a bit on spending money for services online. So I pay for a lot of services. I pay for Todoist, Google Apps, Notion, there's probably another six or seven that I pay for on a monthly basis that I use professionally. But that's because I truly believe that if you don't pay for it, then you're not the customer, but you're the product. You're, like, you're getting sold on the back end. So I don't mind paying for these services as long as they give me productivity. If they, if, the, if it costs me like less time because I pay for this specific app, then I'm fine with that. And Roam, I'm going like, that one's like over it. But then the other can they don't have scaling issues like Notion has probably because they don't have as much users that they need to deal with. Yep. Yep. I was going to say that. I think some of the apps I've seen, uh, actually, a lot of the apps I've seen don't have as, as wide a base as Notion. Yeah. So the the development is, I don't know, when, I don't want to say it's easier because they're still, still essentially doing the same thing. But it's it's not like, oh, no, I'm going to disappoint the whole of YouTube. <laughs> Yeah. But if, if Notion was to go down, like every YouTuber that uses Notion would make a video about it and everyone would know about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Notion had issues uh, a while back and it was while I was trying to record my video and I basically DNS hacked my way around it to get to Notion so I could get to my show notes. <laughs> I was like, I just finished writing these notes and there's no offline mode. This is terrible. And it was just sitting in like, like uh, the Discord for Notion. And I gave people like a hint and a workaround because it was mostly the DNS that was down. So there is a workaround if you had the right IP and you added a change. So I told people, they were like, how do you hack this together? It's like, I do this for a living and I needed it. <laughs> mostly I needed it. Now, please excuse me while I go record my YouTube videos, which was fun. <laughs> ah, yes, uh, project management. Uh, Notion, actually, for, for project management. Um, but that comes with a couple of caveats like i use notion mostly as a place where i collect the stuff so i link to all the other things that i need um and there's a couple of tools that are using conjunction with that if i'm corporate then i use usually jira and currently azure DevOps boards which is a place where i put the tasks because i need to put them somewhere and i prefer to put them in a task that has auto reporting because i don't want to spend time making powerpoints for my management that needs to know what i'm doing um and I've recently been starting to use XMind because I was using Lucidchart for mind mapping because I really wanted to like, like use a mind map to get like a feel on what I need to do for a project. And Lucidchart was not keyboard enough driven. This is something that comes back every time. There's like I had to touch my mouse too often and it wasn't quick enough. These are two very important things. If you need to get stuff out of your head and onto a, a system, then it needs to be quick. So I use XMind and that's an offline app and it saves files, so I get back to file manage, which is painful, but then the quickness of getting it out of my head is the important. But most of it still goes into uh, Notion, and I've made a video about my project management version two a while back, which uses uh, like a power system, which I really like. And this one, I have like projects in there, I got a run book for all my notes and stuff, uh, contacts and resources, and I think that's it, that's like, as little as possible. I think I took a page on your site there, Danny. Like, the, don't add too many tables to it. That one just goes down to like the, the, the core free are resources, logbook, and the projects. 
and then everything else around it in that system is a bit fluff. I had the area of responsibility, which I talk about, which I mostly did because I got management into my constantly constantly adding stuff to the pile. And at some point I started adding a system on top of that saying like, okay, this project goes in this area, this project goes in that area. And then at some point I just turn around and go like, oh, you want me to spend four hours on that? Well, which area will I not spend those four hours in? I hate to sound very BuzzFeed, but you know, this one weird trick, managers hate it. It's like, I, I've had many angry managers after that, but they also can't say no, because they just say like, you know, got 40 hours in the week where you want me to spend them. Actually, they got 32 because the other eight are dedicated YouTube. Um, That's nice. Yeah, you know, at least I have some time. At least I try to get the eight hours to YouTube, but it doesn't always work out because today I had to fix my bike because that one suddenly came up. Yeah, um, life always, life always happens. Life happens, yeah. <laughs> especially over the last, I don't know, year or so. I'll, uh, um, what is X Minds? Yeah, X Minds. Do you wanna? I'll just type, type it in, in the chat. Yeah, and then if you look chat. on that one, I'm sure you'll find it top of uh, Google. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I said like I like X Minds mostly because they give these nice graphs. Okay. Yeah, I think when it comes to like displaying information, mind mapping, I haven't explored many of those tools because I don't. I just don't do it. I will say, I'm so for for when whenever I was doing any math or logic, I used to use paper a lot, which is why I had paper on yeah. my desk. I haven't done math and logic for ages, but getting into programming, coding, whatever you want to call it, working with numbers and symbols, um, yeah. <laughs> the the logic, understanding logic, I I need a I need to squiggle. And on stream a couple of days ago, um, Saf Safine, I think, was mm -hmm. the username um, on Twitch. I'm not sure whether they're on YouTube as well. Um, but they came into the chat and they they showed a whiteboard. And I was like, I might need to get an iPad or use a whiteboard, but I can't draw on my whiteboard with my touchpad mm -hmm. because I wouldn't be able to read it. So I'm thinking, maybe get an iPad. Maybe I do, I don't know, a flowchart thing. So yeah, those sort of applications going to have to explore, I think. Yeah, that's like a, I have an, uh, a tablet with a pen on it, uh, specifically the the Samsung uh, S6. And I really like that, but it's hella expensive. And I'm glad I have a business so I can afford it. Um, but yeah, the, getting the pen is like the main pain point. Like if you just want to draw, I would definitely uh, recommend like a Wacom tablet or something. Because those things don't, like the small ones don't cost that much. Uh, and you get the same benefit. On the low-tech side, I really like whiteboards. For some reason, that just gels my mind. I think too many meeting rooms that I've spent in uh, writing on a board explaining people how stuff works. And uh, the, the cheapest solution I found for that is that, like, at the office, you can get, like, these plastic sheets that you can just throw against a, a, a door, and they just stick, and you can write on those. Um, and I've used those ones in the beginning of my Notion uh, YouTube career bit to mind map stuff and just have it on the wall so I could think about it the whole week. Uh, mostly in my living room wall, much to uh, dismay of my partner. <clears throat> With too many things on the on the wall and then you're just constantly looking at like, what's that? That's like my new video. I'm, I'm scoping <laughs> ideas. This, this will work out fine. But these yeah. days I lose uh, X-Mind. Yeah, as, as a sports coach, um i've i've been using whiteboards for i don't know how long you you got the magnetic ones with the players for football and then mm -hmm. you got the the other the other types dependent like you got the velcro ones as well there's just so many different boards that i've used to mm -hmm. illustrate things and i've 
I've certainly drawn a fair few stick figures in my time being in the gym when you're trying to explain <laughs> mechanics, trying yeah. to explain biomechanics to like nine, 10, 15 year old kids that have come into the gym and like pro athletes. But like, I don't need to know that. I'm like, yes, you do. Otherwise your knees are going to like cripple or break or your back's going to hurt tomorrow or something. And I, I need to explain this. So it's like line, line, curve. There you go. This is, this is your body. That's a stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So Gabriel's question. Yeah, to, to Gabriel's question. Uh, did you manage to Jira Jira automation? Example, Jira issues to Notion or Monday or ClickUp or anything? Good question. I did use uh, Jira automation to to Doist, and then mostly by using uh, I think Zapier or if that's if this then that or something like those. There are also other tools that did those kind of connections in practice. However. I usually found it more hassle than it was worth because I was still checking on both ends to make sure everything was checkmarked off. Um, and because I was constantly checking on both ends, I might as well just uh, click it off there. Um, but what I do do very often is that um, I just manually keep track of it. So if I'm going to Jira, I select the text, right-click on it in my browser and say, add to Todoist so that I just have to look into Doers to know what I need to do. And then when I get to that task, I click on it and then I finish it off in, in Jira. That's how I keep those things in sync. And I think that's mostly because um, I, of course, like work in multiple uh, systems for myself. Like I'm used to working in Todoist, but if I would work just for a company and I, I could get everything into their system, then I would try to do that. Except it doesn't work because if people have all these small tasks and I need to put them somewhere. And if I start adding all those things into Jira, then I get complaints from people going like, why the hell are you doing so many small things? It's like, I need some place to put them. So I stopped doing that at some point. Um, and now I just have like small and big. So I tag them into two. It's like, this is the small stuff and this is the Jira stuff. Or I go from one to the other, but that's really confusing. So I. If I really need to get something done currently, I just select some text, say add to to do is, and that adds a link back to the ticket. So I don't forget. And I tried syncing, but until now, just the constant checking because I'm not sure if it happened on both sides just kind of made it like um, redundant. That's the word I'm looking for. Nice. I like it. So I, I'm curious then, with, when, it, when it comes to automations, obviously, we, as someone that understands code the business uh, the, the like computers and tech and stuff you could probably automate the majority of your workflow which i imagine you've mm -hmm. done yeah. do you find at all that some of the automation actually hinders what you've got to do i'm curious yeah uh sometimes so for example in jira we added some automation to auto move tickets forward for example um and sometimes that that's wonderful and sometimes stuff happens there's like a holiday in between and i have to move stuff back so i actually have to undo my automation because it was like being too proactive um and the problem with any form of automation is that bit rot happens so that means that over time it doesn't work as good as you wanted it and you have to go back and fix it and you're used to not having to waste time on it anymore and then suddenly you have to because it's uh you have to keep track of your code. So for example, I automated my WordPress deployments. It's fully automated with Puppet back to front and it runs smooth as butter, except when it doesn't. And <laughs> that's what happens over time. And then I have to make a small change and it always will use the automation. And 
give it a couple of months and a bit of busyness and then at some point i have to go like i need to sit down for an hour to basically update the code clean it up a bit and then it can automate and run again or you try to get rid of it which is one of the things that i'm really trying to do now because i want to get rid of my hosting so bad it's the this this was half my YouTube day. I was fixing the the zoo site for Dierenpark Amersfoort, which is one website I run, which is the zoo inside my city. And I love them to death. I mean, it's one of my favorite customers because it's one of the few things where if I go there, I get to, to walk between the animals and have some food, and it's 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 a really inspiring place to be. But man, do I hate maintaining websites. It's it's uh, yeah. I wouldn't say it's beneath me, but it's just a pain. WordPress gets hacked. People are constantly attacking it. It's not performing. There's always things that need to change, and it's never on the time that I have time because I never have time, but that's probably my fault. So where would you suggest hosting websites instead of WordPress? Then? If you, well, I still think if you host your website, you should use WordPress because I think it's the best solution, but you should put it at one of those dedicated WordPress providers that take away all the maintenance stuff. Because nobody wants to do that. Uh, I I'm moving all my stuff now to Excel, which is a Dutch company that does 100% WordPress. And if I take their premium package, they just upgrade all my WordPress. They do the installs, and if I get hacked, and I just call them up and say like, "Hey, my site get hacked. Can you guys fix that?" And they go like, "Yes, you paid for that. Good luck. Excellent." And I'm glad they do it because I can do it. I, I spend quite a few times that people go like, "What are you doing?" I said like, "Kicking people off my server." Um, yeah. and I write scripts around that and things to block it, but they always, uh, and it's mainly because of course I get extra people and then they install their own plugins and then those plugins aren't patched on time and then hacking happens. And it's like, why is my site so slow? And so like, I know why your site is so slow. Just give me a minute. And then I spend some time going through log files. And it's, it's like a Sherlock Holmes thing. At some point you find like the point and you go like, I'm entry, my dear Watson. This is the reason why my server is so slow because they came in here and they're sending spam through that direction. So let's stop that one first. And then block them and then make this right only and then but it's it, you're always chasing the fact unless you spend a lot of time throwing up your defenses which i have because i get things like <clears throat> auto ban which means that if somebody tries to log into my wordpress sites after the fifth time it's like no like can i still watch your site though no no you cannot <laughs> that way so that's that's the things that you do. It's like, bye. <laughs> I don't care about your Russian IP. Like, you're probably not my demographic anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I have a website on WordPress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't typically use it that much, but there isn't like an issue with with speed or anything. Do you reckon that is is potentially popularity of a website that that causes those speed issues, like for people to go in, or are they just bots and the rest no. of it trying to? It's bots, and they try to try as long as until they find some spot where they can enter. So if your plugins aren't updated, and I've had a couple of sites that, due to technical reasons, I couldn't auto update. And what happens if they don't auto update is that I forget, or I'm busy, and then they're behind a month, and there's nothing wrong, and they're behind two months, and nothing's wrong, and they're behind three months, and then they're like basically down with the sickness. It's I'm looking at it going like, ooh, that's bad. And then, of course, because they're infected and they start sending spam and stuff, I can't say, like, oh, I'll do it next weekend. I have to do it right now. So I have to drop whatever I'm doing and then spend three hours figuring out who the bastards are and then get rid of them of my system and then try to resist the temptation to get a fake credit card and go onto the dark web and get them spammed to 
oblivion, <laughs> but that's like that's not a path you want to go with these people. No, we're staying above board. <laughs> yeah. Staying staying above board and professional to an extent. Yeah, I, I did try a few times though. I, like, <laughs> I don't blame you. I really don't blame you. Uh, um, Paulie has asked, what about your favorite tools for video editing? Yeah, well, my personal favorite tool is DaVinci Resolve, which I switched to at some point. I used Shutcut before that one, and I tried using Shutcut after I got used to DaVinci Resolve, and I went like, how the hell did I use this? Because it felt like using like, like a brick, stone brick to edit your videos. And I love DaVinci Resolve to death, but I also think it's way too complicated for the average user. I think Filmora is a much more uh, uh, straightforward approach to video editing, where you can get a lot more done without having this, have this enormous learning curve. If you're a nerd like me, and you really want like all the control, or you really, really like color correcting, then get DaVinci Resolve, because that color correcting, that fucking king, is amazing. But... <clears throat> And if anything else, you're just looking for a nice video editing tool that can do everything, I would I would recommend Filmora because I recommend that to friends and family as well because I don't want to spend all day explaining them how DaVinci works. <laughs> yeah, I use Filmora. I use Filmora. It's I think I think Filmora is probably the it's probably the it's still it's still technically a, a paid uh, application. Mm -hmm. You pay for it once and that's it. Like you pay for it done, yeah. sorted. Um, and there is a pro version that does a lot of the stuff like Filmora Pro does. A lot of the things Adobe does. Um, but it's just funny when I'm looking at Twitter, it's like Premiere crashed again and it crashed again and I've lost this and I forgot to save that. And you're like, I have never experienced any of those issues with Filmora. And Filmora is like so much less. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know exactly what the price is, but it's so much less, um, but especially as it's a one-up time fee as well. What I will say though with, with video editing as a, as a as a just a thing in, in general for me personally i i enjoy the video editing process to some extent if i was if i was to have to video edit every single video like to the nth degree nah i get bored i get frustrated i don't nah which is why i try and make my video editing fun so it's like quick i'm shortcuts <laughs> i'm using shortcuts all the time I'm like arrow over control b cut that okay hold shift and get rid of that bit and yeah so i can i can live yeah. on my keyboard do you do the same? Uh, uh, yeah, like in large part, I actually have like a, a Shuttle Pro, which is one of those uh, dial things, because I looked at the DaVinci ones and those were hella expensive. So I was looking for like a cheap solution for it. And uh, let's see if I can, like you see this one over here. It's like a... Nice. And it basically fakes a few keyboard things, but it means that if I'm editing, I'm just holding one hand on there and I just use the jog dial to go back and forth and cut. They can do nearly everything with one hand if I want to. And I usually combine it with my mouse because video editing is, is very often still a few mouse things. Um, but 90% is just this one hand so I can just go through the creative process. Uh, I, I, I like that. It was a good investment. It's, it's not as good as the, the, the shuttle one. And DaVinci made like this, this new small shuttle one, which was super annoying because I bought studio version. Like... I think three months before they released the shuttle and went like, hey, if you buy the shuttle, which is just as expensive as the studio version, you get studio for free. And I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> three months. <laughs> oh, well. Um, else, of course, I would have gotten that bundle. But now, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy with this. It works. Uh, and I already get too much gear anyway. 
I, th I think that's the same as ever. I mean, you don't have to be a tech YouTuber to have loads of tech. Um, yeah. But, but I feel like if you're on tech, I mean, you're cool tools on tech. You like yeah. tools, you like tech, and you're a YouTuber that talks about tech, you're going to have tech. I have way too much tech. Like I'm currently playing with this one, which I really love. Have you seen like the Insta 360 cameras? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, this is amazing stuff. It's uh, it's so cool. Like the, it's, the it's visuals, ridiculously cool. The visuals you can get from it, like uh, Jevin Dovey, I think, is the person that springs to mind. Where he's done a couple of videos on it, and I'm looking at like, that's so cool. But yeah, I wouldn't use it. <laughs> yeah, I have like a use case for it. me. So like, I, I really enjoy snowboarding. I'm looking forward to my next snowboard trip. Then it's absolutely amazing. Uh, as I said, I was fixing my bike today and my biking friends, I do like all the video work during our bike trips. So there's plenty of use cases where, where I'm going to use this one. Uh, and this, this is amazing. Cause like when I'm biking, I need to watch the road. I can't watch what I'm filming. And with this, I don't have to watch what I'm filming because it just films everything. And then later when I sit and I'm safe and I have like a steak, I can just open my phone and go like, that's the shot that I need. Take me to the export. Yeah, you, you saying um, snowboarding made me think. So my main sport was, is mm -hmm. trampoline. Yeah. Trampoline, you have the GoPros and trampoline, but it's very disorientating where you, when you're watching yeah. it. Like as soon as you do a Barani, so a front side with the harsh twist, mm -hmm. The, the head, you're always looking at the cross um, yeah. so you know where you are, roughly. Uh, and when watching it, you're like, what is going on? And when you do the back semis, the front semis, doubles, and adding twists in. With a GoPro, anyone watching that, it literally just like someone's just like waving the GoPro <laughs> around. You're like, there you go. Yeah. I did routine. Uh, unless it's yeah, slow. That's enough. a good point. I'm wondering like if the Jump XL is open. I'll, uh, I'll add a note because I really want to. Jump XL is like a trampoline city in Amersfoort. That well, was like still on my shortlist. Like yeah, it's like an indoor park with only trampolines and anything that you can jump on. They're so uh, fun. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to put a caveat. They're fun when they allow you to do doubles. If they don't allow you to do doubles, then it's not as fun. Like, as someone that trampolines, if you can't double yeah. in, a, in a thing, you're like, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> There's no fun if I can't double. Um, but yeah. like double adds height or no no doubles in double summy oh okay because doing singles is just yay for some of the champagne like woohoo i did a flip it's not a flip it's a somersault but anyway um and you're like i'm gonna do single and single and single you're like yeah it's just not fun like yeah. with, with those trampolines because they're, they're not competitive trampolines you can't get high on them well you yeah. can but nowhere near as high as you would um so you like as soon as you if you even attempt a double straight inside one of those parks you are mm -hmm. you're either going to under rotate it it's going to look like a layout and look like a banana and it's going to be disgusting or you're going to really mess it up <laughs> uh, so which is which is what makes trampoline fun like doing risky shit that's literally the point of trampoline um so yeah do, doing that inside a park like when they say no doubles or no rudy's or randy's or more twists you're like yeah. so what am i going to do Ooh. yeah jump around that's boring yeah that's, that's like the 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 kitty slope in uh, in winter sports. It's like, sure, you know, I could I could have had fun there ten years ago, but now it's just wee done wait wee done wait. You need more like you get the like a level where uh, you you just don't belong there anymore. That's that's yeah. I think that the, the main problem is like it's not you're above that level and it's like like being a pro gamer in a in a rookie match. 
sure it's fun that you can own everyone but it also <laughs> gets boring really really fast it's yep but yeah, uh, if I get to the jump XL, I'll take the Insta360 with me and shoot a bit of footage and show you because this will be uh, oh, see yeah, if it's because it stabilizes. Like if, if I flip it around, it stays straight. So I should be able to flip with it, and then it wouldn't budge a thing, which I think would be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. Because yeah, because you you have that 360 view. Oh, so cool. Yeah, so many ideas. Um, <laughs> I got I, I got a friend. He's he, he was very, very good trampoline, potentially going to Olympics, stopped trampolining, obviously, because everything's going on. So he did biking and stuff. And he he basically broke his hip and he's waiting for a hip replacement. But mm -hmm. before before that, if if he had had a 360, whoa, the amount of... So he, for example, he could do a somersault with eight full twists in it before landing. Mm -hmm. 360 of that, because the GoPro is literally just, you, you might as well just not bother. But 360, yeah, that would look cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an amazing tool. Like uh, I, I made like a, a fun video with my friends because they were here to check my bike out to see what they need to, need to fix on it, which was everything. And when they went away, I I was just holding the three sixty camera up, and then later I posted in WhatsApp. I posted footage from it, and I posted three videos. And with each video, each one of them was in frame, and it went like, "Wait, we passed you like all at the same time, almost. Like, how did you do this? Like, because I can go back and I can just say like, I want to look at this person." And then I can go back again. It's like I can time travel. I can. It's ridiculous. And that's the point where they went like, oh, yeah, this is going to be interesting in the next holiday because you can just I can just chuck this thing like in a corner and everybody can go past like landing on the floor. And then we just have the perfect shot every time. It's yeah. uh, oh, so good. It's, it's, it's going to be fun. I wish there were more people close to me that I know that would actually like be OK with being on camera. Yeah. <laughs> it's a skill I had to learn. Yeah. And I'm like, because everyone I know that is like, I, I say local, so within an hour of mm -hmm. me, no one likes cameras. Like, they don't even like being on a phone call or a Zoom. They're like, I'd much rather message. I'm like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a definitely a thing that I've noticed. Because this is definitely a, a YouTube thing, I think. Like, we've seen our own faces probably more times than we can count. It's ridiculous because you edit stuff for hours and you hear yourself talk. If people go, like, I think it's so weird when I hear my own voice, I'm going, like, you don't know shit. <laughs> it's like, I've heard myself talk last year for, I think, maybe even thousands of hours, I think. Any 10-minute video is, like, two hours of editing, at least probably four. Um so yeah i'm i'm very used to seeing and hearing myself and then other people of course they don't like it and then which i think is fair and i also i'm very privacy minded so i got like a, a vlog that i run which i just play and fill around with and i filmed my son and then i asked my son if he actually wants to be on screen else i won't put it on youtube because i think privacy is important and that becomes like a, a thing so one of the things that you do have with one of these 360 cameras everybody's on camera all the <laughs> yeah. time which is hilarious because people well, don't think you're filming everyone okay yeah I, the first time i walked around with it and i looked back and then people think you're not looking anymore because you're looking the other way and you're walking with that stick but you can see because the thing goes free sick because you just seem like what's that <laughs> it's it's ridiculously fun but yeah that's a problem yeah you need people to um that enjoy hanging around on on camera so they get used to it 
And I think like with photos, like my ex-partner was a photographer and she also noticed that people were like, I don't like being on photos, but that's because they always think they look bad on photos, but they didn't know that when you go to a photographer, you get like 10 photos from which you actually look good. And then they go like, this isn't half bad. I mean, we both look ridiculous once in a while when we're on camera, but we just cut that, you know, nobody once sees in a that. While. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe all the time. And then at some point you stop caring. It's like, you know, this is probably funny. So they'll just put it on there. And you've seen there's the like video. a face in between. I've seen the video. I love what you're doing, man. Like you're just <laughs> messing up and go like, yeah, I'll just keep that in. I'm looking at it. That's brilliant. But the, the thing is that um, actually I'll answer this question first. Uh, Yusuf ah. put a question in there because he used a question mark. I've had my mouse he over used it. The question mark. Yep, yep. Um, I'm thinking of switching to Manjero from Ubuntu after eight months. This is a you question because mm -hmm, Linux. Um, is there anything I should be worried about? Also, is the D D E? I don't know. I'm uh, very quickly uh, reading up on Manjaro because I think it's also Debian based. And then there's nothing to worry about. But it's been a while since I've messed around with Manjaro. I see DE and I think like donor education. Like, I really do not know what it means. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, like Manjaro, I'm not sure what the, the basis of. Uh, Give me a few seconds. Oh, it's based yeah. on Arch. Oh my God. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So like, um, yeah, uh, Manjaro is like, I think a more user-friendly version of Arch. Uh, and there's definitely going to be changes because uh, in the Linux world, you have uh, Red Hat based systems and you have Ubuntu or like, no, actually, oh my God, so people are going <clears> to, <throat> sorry. Debian-based system, which Ubuntu is a derivative of. And you have uh, then Arch. I think Arch is like its own system. So those are three different distros. And they are definitely like the core of the system. So if you're switching from something like Ubuntu to Manjaro, keep in mind that things will change around. Now, as long as you keep your home directory, then most of your settings will be fine. Uh, one of the things that I usually do if I want to switch distros and I don't want to risk too much is when I install my computer, I set up different partitions for it. So I have like a 10 gig partition for my Ubuntu install. I got a 10 gig partition for when I want to switch to another distro and I've got the rest for my home directory. And then I just mount that home directory on both partitions. That means that I can do a clean install of something like Manjaro, go there, have all my configurations and settings, try and see if it's my thing. And then if it's my thing, I stick with it, and then I wipe the Ubuntu, and then I do next install on that one. Or I can at any point in time go like, I need to get some work done and just reboot back to my previous install. So that would be my recommendation. If you're trying something first, um, if you can and you have different partitions, awesome, use that. If it's beyond that point, which usually is once I get these questions, install VirtualBox run Manjaro in there, mess around with it first, and then make the switch so that you know what you're getting into because Manjaro is totally different. If somebody goes like, I'm going from Ubuntu to Mint, I don't care. That's that's basically the same thing, and there's just like a different skin on it, and that's fine. If you're going from Ubuntu to Arch, that's definitely a jump. If you're really brave and you're going from something like Ubuntu to Gentoo where you have to compile nearly everything, 
which is amazing. You learn everything about how Linux actually works and you also waste a lot of time. <laughs> Less these days, because your computer is faster. When I installed Gentoo, I had the base install set up after an evening and I was like, oh, this, this is fine. I just compiled Linux and I just put all the packages on it. I'll just get my graphic interface going. So eMerge KDE, I was using the K desktop environment. The whole week I came out of school, this is back when I was still in school because I still had time. And I came home and my computer was compiling. Three days on, my computer was still compiling. And it ran fine once the weekend came, but that was like three, four days of compiling just to get everything set up. I'm never doing that again. That doesn't sound like a fun experience. It was very, it was a touchy learning moment. Like, uh, luckily enough, uh, this was in a phase that I had like a different system that I could mesh around and tinker with. Because if we go back all the way back to uh, when I was installing OS2 Warp with 50 floppy disks, for people that are younger here, a floppy disk is like a small rectangular disk and it holds one and a half megabytes. So basically, one photo. That was the whole disk. You put operating system on that, you get 50 floppy disks, and if one fails, then and this is your only computer, you have to run across the street to your friend and go like, hey, floppy disk 45 fail. Can you make another copy? My installation resolved around running across the street five or six times to get it running, which was good exercise <laughs> for a nerd. It's like <laughs> yeah, true. True. I think I think there's. I mean, I'm I'm certainly adopting at the moment the 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 nerd. What's the word? The nerd nerd physique, I guess. Because mm -hmm. I mean, I football soccer football. It's football. It's it's not soccer. I'm, it's just football. Um, is like the season is over, but we might be going back to training towards the end of the month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to go for a run so I don't die mm -hmm. in front of like everyone else. <laughs> Like I used to be the fittest on the team. I'd like run backwards and forwards, like the, the the whole game, taking the throws from all the sides, corners, the rest of it. Everyone else just was like plodding around the middle of the pitch. That'll be me. I'll be literally just like, oh, no, no. <laughs> like you gonna are you gonna take that? No, no. Like <laughs> I'm staying. I'm staying in my half because I defend defend it. So I'm staying in my half. <laughs> I'm not running forwards. You strikers can deal with that rubbish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good luck over there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, moving, Lord, I remember those days. Uh, that that was the floppy disk. Yeah, definitely. I I know of them, but yeah, I ha I have one actually lying here. That's like with a floppy drive. That could probably go in a museum in a few years. <laughs> it probably can already go to a museum. <laughs> I, I remember when I was sitting at school, I was working on a computer that was really old, and if you wanted to, anything to do, you had to type like basic in it. And then I would type it like for an hour and I would go like, look, look, it's doing something. And everybody goes like, why did you spend an hour and why are you proud of this? But it's like, <laughs> and after I was done with it, they took it away to a museum that gave me a hint on how old the system was. <laughs> it's, uh, it was amazing. It was, there was really like, there was a computer from before my time, basically. And I had to. Yeah, you can make yeah you can make some typos, but not in the line up, which you couldn't change it anymore. You just had to type it in perfectly. Wow, that's why it took me an hour. Because can you imagine the patience that I was having there? Like I make six typos every five letters. It's like, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I even said in the video, like, if anyone has seen me on stream, which I think most people have, like, if you see me typing on stream, that red line, that red squiggly line is under, under like, everything. <laughs> and the amount of times I have made typos in code already, and I don't even code that much. It's like, I've written 10 lines of code, and I've got, like, 17 typos in them. Like, fuck, sorry. Yeah. Or I've missed a dot somewhere. I'm like, oh, you know what? You know what? I don't care. <laughs> you, you, you become good in that at some point because i had it with puppet code and people like i've been doing puppet code a lot in my life i mean i actually have a book with my name in it somewhere here because i helped review the puppet bit in it and then people come to me and they go like i've been messing with this for two hours and i just look at it and go like you you miss a dot comma over there i think that's the problem okay they went away <laughs> and that's because your mind is geared towards. It's the same when my girlfriend comes looking over my shoulder when I'm typing any type of English or Dutch because she just goes like, there's a typo over there, there's a typo over there, and that sentence doesn't work. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. And I'm so glad she does because language isn't my thing, at least not spoken language. <laughs> I was going to say spoken language. Coding language, that's a different That's a different question. Um, the, oh, is that come up? Yeah, it has. I was going to say, I was reading it in the YouTube chat over there. It's come up on StreamYard as well now. Yeah. Yeah, I like the uh, the, the advanced version on it going, like, it's the year 3000. Like, we like conjure things in nothing thing, you know, and the floppy disk is still the safe icon. <laughs> yep, yep, very probably. Nobody knows what it means. It just means safe. Of course, uh, things changed because we don't really save anymore. At least any modern application shouldn't have a save button anymore. The control S that used to be like my like every, even now when I'm in Notion sometimes I'm like control S to save it I'm like I don't need to do that <laughs> it's already done yeah. it but I'm so used to control S for save I, I have to relearn it now with Xmind because that one doesn't auto save and it doesn't have that feature in the modern version and I already looked up and they're like where's the feature and I like it's not there it's like really what? really like what if I suddenly decide to reboot my computer and I forget to save. I expect this in Notepad, right? Not software I paid for. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, so some, something that's sort of come to mind when we're thinking about sort of like generations. If, if, I'm, if I'm talking to someone um, about, I don't know, being on the phone or like someone's on the phone, I will do that. Yeah. And, I, and I've seen, like, I, I'm going to say younger generations and I realize I'm not that old, mm. but they do that instead. I'm like, what? Because that's how oh, they hold yeah. things. And, he's not, and I'm like, what? Yeah. It's making me feel old and I'm only 24. <laughs> I love that, man. It's like, this is this shows like the, the new generation needs different symbols because things change. I mean, I'm amazed they know what calling is at all. I mean, who calls? It's, yeah. Well, even that. Like, my son just sends me voice messages on WhatsApp. It, actually... That's not true. My son calls me. I sometimes call him like, there's only two people in this world that call me. Well, actually, three. One is my grandmother. My second one's my son for some reason. And the other ones are headhunters, and I ignore those. It's like, Sayo's calls. Do you have yeah. time? No. <laughs> like, it's, it's funny. Our, our landline. <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry, Yusuf, the ones that you're still using culture as you're supposed to be a Vimmer. <laughs> Get, Shut get up. double Z's in order. Habit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Habit. Shut up. Of course it's <laughs> habit. He's messing with you, man. Like, I mean, oh, I've yeah. used Contrast and all the other applications that are not Vim. 
I can't use Vim to do video editing. No, no, that's true. No, I can do that. No, I, I'm I'm fairly familiar familiar with Yusuf. He's um, I probably say he's synonymous with my streams. Like he's he's he has like four hundred and something messages on Twitch in like a week. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm familiar with Yusuf. But yeah, so uh, with the oh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something, and it was going to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Get it, get it, because you laugh. Yeah. That's funny. yeah. Um that that yeah. <laughs> that that's one of those jokes that like old people, I'm I'm gonna say old people my dad uses like that jokes. Like I was gonna say something funny, but I've forgotten it, and then you laugh because it's mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, um timely drink while I while I try and remember what I was gonna say. Uh, yeah, I can't remember at all. What are we even talking about? The, this like last twenty minutes has just been a massive squirrel, like sideways squirrel. Actually, I thought your stream was known for that, which is what I like. Oh, nice! Slow claps there. Yep. Homesick Mac. I don't know whether you're watching on stream now, like in the background, or whether you're going to watch it on replay. But thank you very much for that. I've also got up my browser as well, so whenever I open up Google, I have that like behind the Google. So good. <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, squirrels are one of the best things in life, right? It's uh, it's when you talk about something and you just munder over, and then at some point you're like, where, where, where did we start over? I had a teacher that used to do that. I love that. Like when you're sitting in a classroom and you're talking, it just keeps going with the conversation, and you end up somewhere totally different. He goes like, "This was an educational moment." Yeah. You just learned all these things that aren't in the school books and you learned how to get there by conversation. It's, it was a good teacher. And, and that's where that's where I was kind of going because we were talking about generational differences and things. Mm -hmm. When it comes to like the, the, the conversation aspect, the I get humor is what I come in, in, in my mind. Like when I think of humor, I think of like mm -hmm. Monty Python, Blackadder. Like, I mean, I'm from mm -hmm. the UK, so they're, they're like popular things. I don't know whether, are you familiar with them? Of course I'm familiar with them. Okay. Like, how far from the UK do you think I am? <laughs> this is the there are people there are people my age and my year group that have the similar sort of like like similar age parents and they're like Monty Python, what's that? I'm like how what don't get it anyway. Um and, yeah. and I feel like the, the sense of humor for, for the generation and the communication anyway mm -hmm. is just like drastically different. Obviously that that era of humor, a lot of it mm -hmm. you couldn't even say now. She'd be like, nope. No, you're being offensive. Can't say that. Um, yeah. So, so I, I sort of get like the, the politics of that that era's sense of humor, but communication is drastically different. They're using different words. A lot of them, I don't know. The, the communication is just like text, phone, and the apps. The apps are yeah. the communication. Uh, yeah, and I, I guess I guess in my mind when when I'm thinking about like in the future. And I, so I was watching uh, Elon Musk talk about travel and being underground mm -hmm. in cars and doing that sort of thing. I'm thinking in the future with with communication, will will we talk to people? Obviously, at the moment we're a lot face to face, but not face to face. We're face to face with a camera. Yeah. Uh, where where is that going to go? What's going to happen? What, what do you think? This is like a massive scroll communication. Like, how are we going to talk in the future? But do you reckon we'll be We'll be using cameras, or how do you reckon that would work? Well, depends a bit. Like, uh, I, I think face to face is never really gonna go away because hmm. I just happened to spend a day breaking all the corona rules in the Netherlands because I had four friends over to help me fix my bike, 
and we mm -hmm. kept distance and that stuff like that but officially i can only have one person but it was outside and we kept distance because we still were not insane but there were more people there suddenly than i've seen the whole year <laughs> um and that was wonderful because you can just get the banter and we did a lot of stuffs and there were a lot that's what she said jokes because they're guys and we're working on a bike so yep. that that that's never going to go away i think that's part of our human condition and unless we become virtual um and then there's two ways of communicating. I think that uh, calls with video is something that's going to happen more now because people got used to them. They were totally weird beforehand, and now that's become one of our main ways of communication. And you see definitely some generation gaps between that. My mom nearly never would call me, video call me. My brother, I speak on a nearly daily basis on Discord, mostly in Valheim as the video game because we're building stuff together. And then uh, my other brother calls me on Duo all the time, which means that all my Google Home devices go off. And it's like, hey, nice of you to call. I'm doing laundry or something because I'm usually busy <laughs> with something. He goes like, am I disturbing you? It's like, no, I'm just day-to-day -day <laughs> stuff. Um, and that that's definitely cool. Um, and the other thing that I think is going to grow at some point, but it's not there yet, is going to be virtual reality conversations. Because it's amazing. I've I've been in virtual reality with friends a couple of times, and you don't need a lot to know which friend is who. Just the fact how their hands are moving, how they their their virtual face move, you don't see them. It still does a ton, uh, and it definitely showed me how much body language plays a factor for us as human beings. Ridiculously much. Just hands and face. Uh, once they start adding uh, facial expressions to that which they're already working on, which is, of course, a bit tricky because if you like the, the, the VR goggles on, you can basically only scan this part. But that's going to come eventually. I mean, they can already do that on camera, so they just need to check the mouth and then get half of the expressions from there. And, and I think that's going to be a big thing for people that are they can't travel physically to each other, but the stiffest competition is always going to be real-life conversations, which mo for social things I mostly prefer. For meetings, however, no. <laughs> I never want to have an in-person in meeting ever again in my life if it's too soon. Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can understand that. I think I think the the integration of tools, the the home speakers, the 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 words that I'm not going to say in case they turn on yeah. things. Um, <laughs> uh, but but those are uh, I, I think they're becoming more of a just a a baseline of first world anyway, life and living. Yeah. And it's it's something I think Gary Vee mentioned a couple of years ago is that you need a branding that people can recognize and say. So when they are searching you through your A's and S's, your Alexa's and Z's series, you, you know, like they, they know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm, I'm searching for, I don't know, Tools on Tech or Danny or whatever. Yeah. Like they, they, they can reference that through voice voice recognition. I think that's going to be something moving forwards probably probably earlier than we think as well. Um, it's going tremendously well. Like I've had the first Google Home devices, um, and it's becoming way and way better over time. But it's still not there. I mean, sometimes it just doesn't get what I want. I just keep shouting that it needs to create a task, and then it says, "These are your search results." And I'm going like, "You did this fine yesterday. You did this fine the week before that." But when I actually need it, I'm like lying in bed. My phone's on the other side of the house. And I just want to add a reminder for the next morning. 
no way and it just blares <laughs> at volume Aleph 11 through my uh, bedroom with everybody else there going like <laughs> when you need it it's not working which is the main reason why voice recognition is something that until it gets near perfect it's it's hard to um, really see it taking off and that's yeah. speaking from someone who lives with a chatbot expert in the house because my my girlfriend does not only content management but also chatbot uh like conversation management so knowing artificial intelligence chatting with people and then giving them the right answer so on a virtual level and the idea that my virtual assistant could talk like the most advanced ai robots that would be amazing that you can actually have like a conversation with that thing where it goes like these are your search results you can say like no it's not what i meant and they're like oh what did you mean i said i meant task oh task yes and then does the same thing and would create the task that kind of back and forth conversation flow that we have with humans when we don't understand each other that's going to be a kicker when it talks yeah. when you're talking to virtual beings um and the other thing yeah like distance is, is becoming relative it's i think that's one of the weirdest things that that we're changing in is like the previous generation i don't talk to my dad that often nor my mom because and it's not because they're far away right you can just grab your phone and you can call them but when i look at my son we're both gamers we're both on discord all the time even if he moves out of the house i would probably still talk to him on a regular basis when a new game comes out that we both enjoy playing um and that's like a connection that the previous generation didn't have like the connection becomes closer uh, and i talked with my son because he moved to amersford with me and one of his friends is back in uh, where i came from and they still chat on discord every day and i'm going like this is not a luxury that i had like when i moved away to another city you just had to make new friends because you wouldn't see your old friends for weeks or months because you had to travel to each other and you just can keep your friendship going even though you're separate and that's the same for me of course because a lot of my friends like we live in different places everybody moved to different spots in the netherlands uh, one of my friends even moved to germany and a lot of those still hang out on the discord channel all the time so we're just shooting the breeze there playing whatever game is currently the most fun game to play uh, and i'm really grateful for that that even during the midst of a pandemic i can just shoot the breeze and talk really stupid stuff on a regular basis with my friends even though nobody can actually visit each other officially yeah and i, I think that's i think that's partly the the generations and i think that's partly down to the technology i don't know whether, like whether we call it a, a revolution or whatever mm -hmm. it happens to be just the technology going like this <laughs> yeah and it's not just crazy yeah so as soon as you hit like 2000 like essentially like my age group so millennial gen z i think i'm like in the middle mm -hmm. i'm i was born 96 so i'm like yeah. right at the end of millennial and right at the beginning of gen z i think yeah um but that those those generations and like gen x to an extent like some people in gen x uh, yourself is obviously included <laughs> mm -hmm. are, are tech savvy enough to be with like to, to have that connection to have that understanding of what's going on in the world not necessarily mm -hmm everywhere um but they understand sort of what's going on like I, I did a i did a talk on friday uh yesterday wow yeah. been a long day <laughs> been a long day i did a talk yesterday um and I, I was talking about knowledge management to, its, to an extent note taking things um 
and almost everyone in that call had never even considered using digital tools for note taking. They were all like pad, pen, post-it notes, and they were all losing things. Uh, or they were using files and folders. And I was like, okay. <laughs> we, 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 got, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, man. That's like, uh, I mean, that of course, there's like a whole movement and I really enjoy uh, a paper as well, though I mostly use it for, for journals and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's part because then I write because I don't want to touch technical stuff at that point. But when I need something to be able to get it back, I want to have as much digital as possible because I always want to have it on hand. Um, and both have their own uses. I mean, I like my post-it notes. I mean, I have like post-it notes lying around here. But they're usually for small things that I just want to have in view all the time. And those are very limited. Because they're usually about stuff that I'm trying to learn, like, you know, use the Pomodoros, put stuff on the Jira board. I mean, this, this one's already outdated. Uh, you know, use the HDKLF in Vim instead of the arrow keys, those kind of reminders. But anything that's important, I said, like, that goes into my to-do list with a reminder so that my phone goes off and then hopefully reminds me, which is much less these days because I put nearly all notifications off on my phone because I'm just going like, I don't care anymore. Like... That, that's an interesting point then so with your notifications because i also have notifications completely turned off if i turn if i like mm -hmm. pick up my phone the screen turns on and then all the all the things sort of just are listed there normally there's quite a lot uh how do you how do you manage those those like urgent notifications do you have it in the mind or do you look at your task calendar at the beginning of the day for reminders like what's that process uh, uh, my process is, um, like I mentioned at some point, is like I have an opt-in process. So anything that pops up on my screen or that makes my, my smartwatch go off, that only happens once. Because in Android, I just swipe right and say, like, off you go, because this is not something you get. And then there's a few things, like to doist reminders, calendar reminders, calls from certain peoples, what's up from certain peoples, and then my watch goes off. Uh, and my home automation, but those are all things that I configured myself. So then I want my watch to go off. Actually, and um, it's bad. Like if you would ring my doorbell, then my watch goes off. <laughs> but that's mostly because the only person that rings my doorbell is the postal delivery guy, and he's usually bringing a new gadget. So then I want to get interrupted because <laughs> I'm like, I need to get to that door. Um, so that's how I deal with it. Like really limited and. Even then, it's still set up, and I just accept that I miss things often, which is actually quite breathtaking and, and relaxing. It's like, yeah, then I didn't notice it. You know, people will call back. <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom solid. The thing is, though, Tom, Tom, even with the paperless movement, uses paper. He even admitted to using paper. Not much of it, though, to be fair. No. Um, but yeah, I think I think for most people that have the money availability and the understanding to use an iPad for their mm -hmm. paper could with the whole paper-like uh, screen protectors and stuff. Because the same sort of thing. Yeah. Because you can just have your iPad there and just doodle, write, and whatever. Something, something that okay. keeps bringing up in my mind. You like tools, obviously. You like tech. Fun, like for me, fun first. That's, I don't know whether it's like a motto or something. It's just yeah. what goes on in my head. 
how do you separate fun playing with tools, messing around with tools, buying new tools, exploring things with work? <laughs> how do you separate? Do you separate it? <laughs> with, with, diff with difficulty sometimes. Now, um, uh, of course, I have like my areas of responsibility system that I set up where I give like blocks of time to things. So I use that mostly to stay focused because like now I need to do this. Now I need to just use the tools that I got to get things going. And then outside those blocks, if I see something shiny and new, then it's just scroll. And I sometimes allow myself to just chase that for a while. So this morning, for example, I spend an hour messing around with the Vim wiki plugin because you were talking about Vim and I'm going like, can I use everything in Vim as a wiki knowledge base thing? Um, so yeah, I just give, like, give it an hour or something and then see if, if it rings the right uh, uh, bells with me, if it gets me anywhere where I want to go. Um, but it becomes trickier over time when i have less time so very often i look at something and it very quickly goes from this looks interesting to i don't have time for this and then i'll look at it later and then later comes and i like i won't ever look at this because i don't got time that's that's basically the it ends up on my someday maybe list which is the place where tasks go to die yeah which yeah. is unfortunate because i would love to dig into all these tools but at some point uh, yeah, I already have too many things on my plate and then I lack the time to really dive into it. But if a tool is actually doing something interesting, it gets my attention anyway. Like Notion happened at some point, even in my busy life, I was going like, this clicks with how my brain clicks and then everything just went there and I went on a massive binge to get up to speed with the, the, the toolkit. Uh, not many tools get that uh, that kind of treatment. Uh, but it really needs to match on a lot of levels to, to get that kind of treatment and really needs to solve a problem I have. Making a better task list, for example, probably won't get my attention, even if you're 10 times better than Todoist because I'm going like, I need to switch from one toolkit to another and I need the time and investing in it and this works for me now. So either I need to hit like a point where Todoist does something which really breaks for me, um, yeah, we talked about Notion being slow, for example. That's one of the point where it starts hitting me. And then at some point, if somebody would come with something which works like Notion and is quick, I'd be inclined to give it a bit more thought and time. But most tools uh, until now that I found lack some of the things that I really like about Notion. And of course, there's like this friction that happens over time. There's a lot of my life in Notion right now. Getting it out there is going to take effort. And is the new tool going to pay back that effort in time? Notion did in spades, though if it keeps getting slower like it's yeah. happening right now, <laughs> I might lose some of that investment, but I'm sure they'll fix that at some point because that's an engineering problem and not a, um, how you say, design problem. It's, it's yeah. something that you can engineer your way out of, and I trust people to be like to, to, to figure a way for that or ask. So where do you find your your tools, your apps? Is it Product Hunt? Is it channels like Francesco's where they're just exploring loads of tools or everywhere? Yeah, partially like YouTube when the people, productivity people that I follow at some point mention some kind of tool and go like, I've been messing around with this. 
uh, and then I go into a rabbit hole or I Google because I'm specifically having a trouble like Xmind I found because I was looking for mind map software and I just looked at a couple of them. And then for me, when we're talking about fun factor, for me, it's like aesthetic factor. It has to look nice. For me, that's like a large part. I need to enjoy looking at the tool, which is a totally non-engineer. Hmm? The brain app didn't work then. No, the brain app didn't work. Like, I like the idea because you showed it to me and I'm like, oh, but God, that's ugly. Like, I couldn't use that. Oh. And yeah. it's stupid because, like, I, I sacrifice functionality just because it looks nice. <laughs> it's like, why? I am an engineer. I, I work on a prompt all day. I love my Vim. But then I need a mind map tool. And it's like, this one does the coloring just right. I love it. It's like it just sparks joy. But I think it's also the more creative the tool gets, the more important the aesthetic becomes. So like mm -hmm. when I'm mind mapping my YouTube videos and I'm like in a creative mode, I need something that's beautiful that just, just gets me happy thoughts flowing basically. And then at some point I need to get work done and then I don't care how ugly the tool is. Like I need that industrial rivet, like the block with an engine in it just goes like, <laughs> And th those two mindsets are totally different from each other. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. I think I think sometimes with the the action stuff, if you, it can be oh, where we, I think it was Seth Godin that mentioned it. Uh, I think he used email as his analogy, but he was saying it was a hiding place. And I feel like some tools are hiding places for work. And I think Notion is a great hiding place. <laughs> <laughs> you can go into Notion and just hide from what you actually need to do. Whereas Todoist, yeah, you can't do anything other than tick the task off. Like <laughs> you can't really hide. Well, I, I, can, I can I can hide in in Todoist for a while because, uh, but I think that the main issue that you have with both Notion and Todoist or any type of system is that you don't forget. Hmm. And one of the things that I learned over time is that forgetting stuff is basically nature's first defense to not get overworked. It's like this isn't that important. I can forget it. But if you have it on a list and you look at it, you're like, yeah, but it is important. And your brain just goes again like, no, 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 it's not. Your brain knows that it's not important. But if you put it on a list, then your smart brain goes like, but, but what if I don't? And stop arguing and just drop the task. So once in a while, I just go over task and I just randomly quit. A That's few literally things. what happens up here, just arguing backwards and forwards. It's not important. Yes, it is. I should do it. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. If it's not taxes, then uh, like there's no repercussions anyway. Mm. Um, it's a stream where you first tried Vim still on Twitch. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I, th I think so. Um, you'll have to, you would literally, you'd have to go back and have a look. I didn't title it there. It will probably, mm. uh, I can't remember how many streams are kept up on Twitch. I think it's 14. Um, mm. So I think it'll still be there. I don't know. If you're looking for something in specific, let me know. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. You should you should have just like I don't know uh, what's the word clipped it. Whatever you're thinking of, just yeah. Did uh, you ever play the the Vim game actually or not? No, no, I didn't even know there was one. Oh, uh, you should look that one up. This is excellent. Like if you already know Vim, you go through pretty quick. But they actually made like a, some kind of yeah top down adventure game in a browser where you just learn all the Vim commands. Like not all of them, but like the large yeah. basic of it. Uh, it, it's super interesting, even for someone like me who was using Swim for 10 years, then I was like, oh, I, I forgot, like I missed a few things when I was stepping through it. And the other one that I think, do you know how to use the macro function in, uh, in Vim? 
I do now. That yeah. one's... Oh, good. Then, like, you get one of the most important ones. Well, yeah, because in Obsidian, um, putting... So my, my features list, putting brackets or taking brackets off of things to link and unlink things is just like delete, delete, end of word, backspace, backspace. It was just annoying. Yeah. Now I've just I've just done a macro. So every time I go to Obsidian, make the macros, and then it's just like at W or at E, just like going through. Makes life so much easier. So nice. <laughs> so it took, took a bit of time to work out what was going on. But yeah, we got there. Yusuf definitely helped yeah. with that one. <laughs> we also like the quick ones, like the record and replay buttons. Um, not too sure. I'll have to have a look. I'll, I'll, I can share a screen in a bit and just show you a few of those. This is fun to see because you look at it and go like, "That's." I don't know when I'm going to use it, but at some point you're going to need it. And then, like, often when I have like, I need to do ten times the same change. I usually use that because I'm too lazy to figure out the search uh, replacement. Uh, and it's a wonderful thing to have in a tool belt for for Vim. The the find and replace is really nice in Vim. Because you don't have to do like control F and the rest of it, you just can find and replace it. Yeah. The one you thing I was regular like, expressions and take bits and then rearrange them, and that's yeah. awesome. Oh, that's so nice. And just do it all on the keyboard as well. Uh, anyway, Gabriel's question that I brought up: mm -hmm. so, Do you use Notion for databases or for documents? Because I think these two are the two major aspects of Notion. I would say databases or documents—they're just the main things you'd use anywhere anyway like it's either a spreadsheet or a doc yeah uh so uh, i would say it's notion specific but yeah go for it yeah like i use both because i like note and the, the 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 document bit very very much and i like the database bit but i mostly like the fact that i have documents in databases um and that's something pretty unique for Notion because you can like turtle all the way down. Like you, you have like a database and then you put documents in there and then you decide that inside the document, you need another database and that just works. And if I compare that for something like Coda, which I use mostly for databases, that's functionality that I really miss. Um, and a good example for that one was like my motor needed repairs and that one started as a document where I made a document. It's like what, things are broken i need these 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 and it was like becoming like this list of urls for web shops that i needed to buy and at some point i'm like i need to know the prices i need to know if i ordered these i need to know if i got those so i added a table under it and then at some point it's like i already have the table so i have a structure so why don't i put the stuff i have up there inside the table and i just start dragging stuff and this is one of the things that i really like about notion that like i can constantly combine uh, databases and notes together, which is what I use my logbooks for, for example. But those are just documents in a structured format. If I really, if you talk databases, really like complex databases, sometimes, but mostly I would at some point get frustrated and start switching to Coda, which gives me a lot more control to make automations, buttons, APIs that are actually accessible. Um, yeah. Those, yeah, definitely at some point, but that's because I've been using Coda at this volunteer organization, so I've been getting more practice with that one, and I have a bit of a love-hate, because I like the Notion aesthetic, I like the way of working in Notion, it clicks with my brain, and I miss a lot of features from Coda when I'm in Notion, like the buttons, like being able to program actions, making forms, those those things, just like, uh, but yeah, if I think if, if I would have to pick one, then the document bit is most used in my case. I could do yeah. without the database, though I would think it's really painful. 
uh, but I couldn't do without the document bit. Yeah, so true. And when I so the the Notion v Coda video that I did, same sort of thing. Like Coda is way better when it comes to features, functionalities of almost every aspect of the database. The one thing I I don't like about Coda is the user experience. It's just it's just a little bit clunky. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is true. And they and they, they add stuff at a ridiculous space. I'm like, mm -hmm. I have a feeling like I get a mail daily from them almost. Like, hey, we added this feature. I'm like, I didn't even have time yet to test your last feature. <laughs> like, and here's five more. It's like, stop it. It's Click up's the ridiculous. same. Yeah. Click up's the same. And it, I, yeah, I, I like and dislike like that method. Because for new users, you're like, what and then yeah and and something else i think with with those sort of application the development of those apps is a lot of the times they bring in new features kind of leave some of the bugs behind i'm like ah can you just like fix that over there please mm -hmm. uh, so uh, used asking a question about vim what is a lesser known vim key binding that saved you so much time double q by far, that's the one that I'm talking about right now. now. Since we're getting the question asked anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna share my my Vim. Uh, let's see, share screen, application window should be this one. This is my Ubuntu one. Let's see if that shows me Vim. I was messing around with the wiki bit. Am I clean to share? Yeah, sure. That should be fine. Okay, I am sharing. So this now. is just I was just testing uh, a couple of things. Uh, and, and adding a, a thing to it. So like if I'm working in Vim, like you add stuff, but you can, if you put as in your QQ, then it says recording and then it records what you do. So you can say something like, hello world, enter, and then escape, press Q, and then it recorded what I just did. So I can say at Q and it does the same thing, but I could say 10 times at Q and it does 10 times that thing. Now that doesn't look that spectacular when you see me do hello world, but for example, say that I have something where I need to add like a, a comma to everything. Then I start doing stuff like Q, go end, add, comma, add, make sure that I'm at the beginning and then stop recording. And then I can start doing stuff like this. Now, of course, I can do this much quicker with a find replace, but sometimes you have these really finicky things that you need to do over and over again in a file. Like you need to change 10 records or 50 records, even hundred records. And you don't know like the complete regex to fix it. And then this is like an easy way to do like a multi-line change. And it's really quick because it's just QQ type, whatever it is, and then escape Q to stop it and then add Q or a number thing. I also think that the other thing that's super important, anybody that uses any type of film know that you can do everything in repeat. Like if I do like left, it's good. But if you do five left then you go five left, five top. And for the people that don't use Vim, this is why uh, Danny and I like the fact that the numbers are on the side because you see like the one to six. So if I do um, six and I do type DD two times, then it deletes six lines. So what I know because there's a six, then I'll delete six lines down. And this is why these, these numbers next to it are so important because I know how many lines up or down I need to copy or move and yeah, that's that's one of the things like that, that you really need to wrap your head around when you get into film. It's like, what are these numbers? Or why do I have all these special words? Like with the insert thing that you have to go to like insert mode to type something and then press ask to get back or that you do V for visual mode where you can select something. 
Now in this case, of course, because I got the Doki Wiki on it, and uh, but you can yank, and you yeah. can use capital V, and it selects everything. But it also works for um, blocks because you can have like uh, I can type uh, W instead of in English for word. Yeah, and then it knows that it needs to scooch up a, a word, and you use that in combination with commands. Because you can also with, with Vim, you can also say something like, I want to delete 16 letters. You can also, I want to delete five words. And that works no matter how many words you have. So it just does all the spaces. And then, of course, then the main trick with any Vim install, like, um, let's see. There's so many stuff in here. But like, I have like a whole Vim setup. I don't think this is very readable. Let me make it a bit bigger. Um, is that I use bundle. So these are like all these extensions that I've got set up currently for Vim. So Snipmate, for example, which allows me to expand text and does smart things with it. Uh, Vim Puppet, which I don't use as often as I did, but that did all my Puppet uh, setups. Uh, Vim Outline, that was because I used a lot of outlines before I switched to Workflowy. And after that, I switched to Notion for most of my outlining. And Vim Wiki, I was messing around with today. But... Uh, and then, of course, my whole FIM setup. Like, if you, if you look at my FIM RC file, you know, this just gets bigger over time. Stuff that's get added. These are all my custom sets, like the color scheme that I want, special commands that I use. You know, writes to do, for example. This this is this is like a, a wonderful thing. Like, if you work on Linux, then sometimes you're editing a file, but that file is not owned by you, and then you can't write it, which is super painful. Uh, and then write to do is a command that got added, and that just elevates my write as an admin, and then just writes it and then saves it. So instead of me having to go out or write it to a temp file, I just do write to do, and it just says, "Okay, we'll just get this done." I love how how Fim just grows on you over time. Ridiculous. Oh yeah, I, so the the QQ is probably the only one that made me think, oh. Um, but then, but then I realized actually, you know, Q is what I'm using anyway. And then you're using Q as the, like the at Q. Like yeah. So. Yeah. It's the yeah. one you're using anyway, but you can use like different setups if you need multiple of those, but I've been using the QQ so many times. It's uh... yeah. Like I said, like I was using QW and QE for adding or taking away the brackets. So I can just like go down like at W yeah. at E at W at E or just like three, four, whatever. Um, so good. So useful. Yeah. Uh, Coda, Coda asked a question. Gabriel asked a question. Uh, Coda or Airtable for database? What is your opinion? I haven't used Airtable enough to really dish on Airtable in this one. Because currently I just love Coda. And I've looked at Airtable, I think, once, maybe twice. And the aesthetic just didn't ring with me. I didn't like the way Airtable looked. Um, but that's not enough to give it a verdict. So for me personally, currently Coda, but that's mostly because it ticks all the boxes there. And that means that I don't spend any time actually diving into Airtable. From, from my experience with both applications, I would say Airtable is certainly, a, I would say Airtable is a better database, like just storing database. It's really good for storage, collecting, and then sorting and doing whatever with all the automations and integrations it has. It's great for like a back-end database. If you're going to do anything with it, that's when Coder, I think, takes the, takes the edge. If you're going to do something with the data, i.e. display the data, or you want to have a form for people to input data, yes, you can make a form in Airtable. But I think being able to see that like on the page, just like a quick, a quick database, a quick form, a quick 
database in a dock, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. that's where Coda has the advantage. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that'll be that be my thoughts on that. I don't know whether you even asked for my thoughts, but I gave them anyway. <laughs> you should definitely. I think that's what we're here for, right? Everybody's faults. Uh, one one thing I really like about Coda is because you can add text but top to bottom to it. I I can really write stuff in there where I can explain how to use something to the person that comes in and needs to use it. I can use the buttons to make sure that they do the same the same the same thing. I can put checks in there to avoid them making really stupid mistakes. And I can put text in there to really guide them along to the document and then help them figure stuff out. Doesn't always work. I tried doing meeting notes in Coda once and I think <laughs> I've yeah, they have, they have like in Coda this one example where you put like the um, um, uh, attending thing where you just push the button and then you add yourself. I've seen like 15 ways of people adding themselves to that one, wiping it, putting it on the side, building it on the left. It's like, oh yeah, that's what I forgot. End users. It's like <laughs> people. And yep. that reminds me like um, I was talking to a scrum coach at some point and he had this wonderful thing and that's uh, with Legos. They had like a practice where people had to build ducks from Lego. So you get like six blocks and you have to build a duck so it's like feet and then a thing yeah. on top of it and body beak and if you look at that you go like everybody's going to build a duck and you might have a, di a few different types of ducks but he says like even if you have like 40 people you get like 40 different ducks with six six blocks it's like people <laughs> communication is hard I love that exercise because it just shows how how different we think and we all think that our way of making that duck is like the obvious way of doing it. And then you look back and then you have like all these different ducks. I would also probably find it hilarious if you ever found the group that are so like-minded that they would all make the duck at the same way. But uh, I think the, there's, there's a couple of experiments that have done similar things. Um, and you can even extend that to yourself. Like if you, if you get given a problem, uh, a task to solve or something, and you solve it in one way, mm -hmm. guaranteed you try that three or four more times, you're going to find a couple of other ways to solve that problem. Unless you've like yeah. just remembered how to solve it. Um, because we always think slightly differently, different contexts, different environments, different things that we thought of yeah. at that point. I once read that a good developer writes code three times. So basically you write your solution the first time, then you toss it away, you write it again, and then you toss it away and you write it again. And that's because like the first time is when you're going to have like the cleanest bit of code because you know how to write it. So the second and the third time is not going to take that much time. But because you get to rethink the problem, you can actually optimize it. Of course, practice doesn't give you that kind of time, but it's a it's a fun exercise if you're doing any code writing to just write something and then just put it aside and write it again and then compare the two versions. Yep, and that, that's exactly what I've been doing. That's why I don't like flashcards. <laughs> <laughs> I, if you want to know about flashcards, I'll probably rant about it tomorrow because I ranted about it like throughout most of last week on Twitch at some <laughs> point. <laughs> Right, uh, we're closing in on two hours. And uh, yeah, again, time just flies. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> uh, I like the one that I'm old school with native film. Yeah, I get, I get told that one a lot. Like, And I even use it like on a bash prompt. I don't even like have like anything around it. It's like old school vim, like, like my mom used to teach like that way. It's like, 
if my mom would get what Vim was like. But um, yeah, maybe yeah. not. I haven't updated my Vim in a long time. Like I really should like update it on the latest. But at some point, you just get grain into the, the the set. Yeah, and I know I'm missing out. It's like too bad on that one. Because I've seen the teams, like a coworker had like the teams going on it, uh, I, and I really want to mess around it, but I just go like, yeah, yeah, it works currently. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's uh, probably also because I become like management material these days, and management wants stuff in PowerPoint, not in Vim, for some reason. <laughs> so I, I become more versed in PowerPoint, much to my dismay. Mm, not slides. Google Slides. No, 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 I don't uh, like, I mean, I, I like my PowerPoint in that regards. I have Office, I can do slides in there, like I'll make the, uh, but I do like much my simple things. There's like a presentation, you see like, you have like a maximum of six items on it. Yeah. And I'm currently in one of those companies where I get slides, slide decks that are like walls of text. <laughs> and I'm I'm like putting like a counter offensive on that one. So I had one of, one of those walls of text thing. And then I go like, and this is the uh, part where I talk about the technical details. Now, this is an unreadable slide, so I'll go to the next one. And then the next one is like six items on it. I said, so you guys can actually remember what I'm talking about. So I'm like passively, aggressively showing them how it's done. Um, and you hear like the laughing on the background because they know it's true. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, even, even in education, higher education, lecturers do it all the time. I'm going to talk about this. Insert like 30 references that are like font size five so I can fit them all on the page. You're like, I can't read any of that. And you have the PowerPoint anyway on your computer, so you're not even looking at the screen. So yeah, just, put, like... just put a picture of a dog up there instead. People are going to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Just add a couple of slides to the end and put like a slide and say like, you know, this slide. Also, if you get like the copy, there will be links in the last couple of slides if you need them done it's not part of your story it's not part of you tell if you would try any of that like youtube you get like minus five views it's like nobody's gonna watch that yeah i i, I, I wish i wish presentations had like an algorithm i mean i would love that shit it's like you're doing your presentation and the system just go like nobody's watching your <laughs> click-through rate is like two percent here. Like, yeah everybody just leaves that would be amazing Unfortunately, oh, yeah. uh, we don't. No. I, I said this a couple of times before I graduated, and I said to some of my lecturers, I was like, do you watch YouTube videos? And they said, well, we watch some of them. I was like, if you watch YouTube videos, how they're structured, uh, like the educational YouTube videos, you watch those, the ones that do well on YouTube, that have a high retention rate, that are watched loads of times, typically are educational, fun, there's a story, and people learn from it. Lectures, people don't engage at all. I'm like, yeah. Why why can't lecturers just learn from what works with the current generation? Because there's no incentive. They don't have to get like fifteen thousand views to get like five cents from YouTube. No. It's but, like Yeah, it's just learn a little bit. Bring some some fun to education. That's what I try and do anyway, whenever I was coaching, uh whether it's coaching the gym, coaching an athlete, coaching whatever. If if you're monotonous, you're boring and you're not relatable. People just disengage and they they disappear. They go, yeah. It's like, make it exciting. Like I think some of my best lectures, like best lecturers that that taught, were the ones most down to earth. Like my head of course literally said, "I've written the course. It's my course, and I hate it." 
<laughs> and and it, like everyone's like, what? And he's like, well, basically, I don't like essays. I don't like assessments because he doesn't. He didn't believe in them. Yeah. Right? They're just rubbish ways of assessing things. But I have to because it's what the government want for education, formal education, blah blah blah. And mm. I was like, okay, I like this guy. <laughs> Yeah. Like understanding that there's rules and also understanding that they are outdated or they need like a, a different way of looking at them to be actually beneficial for people, which is like talking about like something which, which needs to be interesting and, and some people know how to do that. Um, and I'm going to like name somebody who's in uh, like uh, I've watched some of the uh, lectures from Jordan Peterson, mm -hmm. but the fact that that guy can talk good enough to make me listen to biblical stories as someone who's been raised basically as the antichrist because i, I get raised in the bible belt in the netherlands and to actually get me to a point that i'm saying like well you know actually those stories weren't half bad they had like a purpose that that gets points for me like that means that you're passionate enough about the thing but also realistic enough that you don't say like this is the truth but more like you explain how and why and you make it interesting enough for me to listen long enough to actually go like this this whole Cain and Abel story is actually not bad. That's like a slow clap. That's like amazing. At some point, I was listening to that and go like, I'm actually listening to this guy talking sense into a biblical story. To me, that's that's I, no matter how people frame his opinions and stuff like that. It's like that that's amazing. That's that's some good work he did there. Uh, and I think a lot of teachers can can learn from that because it's hard to keep attention. Um, and if I look at my son, for example, it's like he has a hard time retaining anything. And then I explain him something. He goes like, why doesn't my school teach this? Like, because your school doesn't have as much time as me to cater it towards you specifically. That and telling people things in a fun way is what I do part of my you know, like my week now. That's, that's what you have yeah. to do. So I think more teachers should be on YouTube. I think that's the correction there then, right? <laughs> and I don't know about that. I don't know about that. We've got enough competition. I didn't say it's going to be good content, but they'd learn a lot. Yeah, I, they, they certainly would. It's uh, evening as well, Notion Goth. Good to see you. Um, it's, it's something that it's like for me, the, the fun aspect helps me remember stuff. It's the story, the narrative. The, mm -hmm. I use the space analogy loads where I have different things all over the place and I start like, Gravity sort of brings them together in a story, and then I associate things with that and start making attachments and the rest of it. And uh, the the fun aspect, the story aspect, that's always the thing that helps me remember what's going on. Uh, mm -hmm. No, I will I will answer the question in a second. Um, and and when I think when I think back at the videos that I've remembered, or the the stories essentially I've remembered that the things that I'm learning, it's it's always the person, the character, the storyline. Like Hank Green on Crash Course. Yeah. I do not care. I don't know whether you're familiar with him or not. I yeah, do not I care what he's talking about half the time. Like all the stuff he's talking about, history and science and the rest, I don't care. But he's funny and I can watch the video. And I think I think it's a good sign of a good educator that you watch like when I watch a video and it goes to the end, I'm like, oh, that was the end. You know. Yeah. That's a good video, but you've watched all the way through it. If you're 10 seconds in, you're like, how long is this video? You know it's not a great video, or it's not a great start yeah. to a video anyway. And our attention span is short, because I was watching a video with Bongo Cats today, and they were just making noise, and it's it's, it's epic fun to watch, and I'm still going, like, after a minute, like, how long is this video? 
this is like you're repeating and then at some point it becomes uh, boring and it's very tricky and I think it's one of the best compliments I got at some point because I got a couple of friends who preview stuff for my videos and one at one point said like I don't get anything about notion but for some reason I keep watching I said excellent that's what I was going for because part of it is just like even if you don't care about the subject if it's interesting enough to keep watching that means more people will keep watching longer and for me that means that more people will watch the video and some people might try this notion thing at some point yeah yeah i've, I've got before lots it gets of ideas. So slow. i've got lots of ideas that i think i've i've kind of like lifted my my cap a bit so previously i've done like the how-to notion videos and obviously having left mm -hmm. notion even though i still use the application uh, i've kind of gone right okay you know what this this professional danny that has to do how-to videos like this let let him loose Give him full <laughs> reign of, of video creation. So who knows what videos will be coming out on my YouTube channel in the coming months. <laughs> it's uh, the most fun you can have, I'm sure. Like uh, I need to let go of my um, uh, high standards at some point as well. And I did that with my last video, just trying to let go. Definitely when you told me, like, I just go through like the motions and then I edit a bit and then I'm done. And I'm like, yeah, I need to get my level down. I am nowhere near the subscriber base to go spend 20 hours on the video yet because it's like people just want to uh, see something which feels authentic like one of the best videos i have i was reviewing a backpack and i was just standing there in a t-shirt going like i bought this i don't like it this is why and i did that in half an hour and that one still ranks top of videos it's like and the audio was horrendous <laughs> <laughs> yep yep it's just yeah I, and for me, having fun making the video. And yeah. like the, the video that I made today, I was like, I'm going to edit this now because it was just it was just so fun. So fun. <laughs> uh, so question from No, I'm assuming that's how you say it. Noe? Mm -hmm. Apologies. Um, is there a workaround in Notion to re-import an update of data after editing these data in Excel? I guess. Um, so I'm assuming you've imported something from Excel into Notion and then you've changed the data in Excel and you want to essentially update that information. Currently, without an API, no. <laughs> not, not to my knowledge. Um, once, because you've changed the, the version in Excel, this is if I'm understanding it correctly. If you've changed what's going on in Excel, you can't then mirror that change in Notion automatically without an API. Um, no. So, no. no. No, not really. You can copy paste the data back, of course, but mm. as soon as it links to something else, then that breaks, and that means that nine out of 10 times that's part of your functionality. Yeah. Um, so I, I would and... say if you make a change to data, either make the change in Notion, like originally, or just, I, I guess I would ask, like, why are you using both at the same time? Would, would be my, my first thought is to, if you're storing data in Excel, but maybe displaying it in Notion, but why would you display it in Notion? I don't know. What's, yeah, what just happened? Yeah. What? I don't know, my, my brain is suddenly just like, have you have you got like a green screen bin or something on screen? What is going on? Oh, probably, what? Maybe because like if I put something up which has like a green uh, background, I started Excel that probably lights up like in in the. Oh no no no! I, I'm not just I, okay. Maybe I was just completely ignoring what was going on behind your head because you moved, and then yeah. I just I don't know. Yeah. Oh no, it's oh, the chair. Okay. What I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Ah. Uh. 
can you embed an Excel? Y- yes, but it's not great. Uh, not, not, no, it's not great. Like you, you're probably better off embedding a, a Google Doc, which works better. Yeah, yeah. Go, go, um, Google Sheets is better, but still, I wouldn't. I still, I still would prefer to do the work in Excel Sheets, in Excel or Sheets, because that's that's the native app. Yeah, I agree. Right. If if you want if you want to use a spreadsheet, then use a spreadsheet. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, yes, you try embedding uh, the web version of uh, of Google Docs of like Office. What I what I do with Office is I just uh, I, I don't embed. I just uh, I post the link to the document on my uh, live drive so that I can easily access it. But embedding it is until at least what I tried till now, more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. Which is too bad because like uh, Notion uh, is nice, but it's not Excel. And um, yeah, very often I need something like complex calculations. And what I would really like is those end results to be part of Notion. And definitely if you use Office for any amount of time and you start noticing that all these Office applications talk with each other. Like if I make a com- complex Excel algorithm, and I generate a graph from it, and I copy-paste that graph from Excel to PowerPoint, and then I suddenly discover that if I update my Excel spreadsheet, that graph in PowerPoint starts updating, and I'm going like, what? That's amazing, because I need to do reports. Now I just update the Excel spreadsheet, and I'm done, which is good. But you can't have that kind of integration between Excel and Notion, and that would be, of course, amazing. For example, if you could, like, Put stuff in Excel and a graph in Notion would update or vice versa. You can do that with Sheets. Yeah. True. You can do that with Google Sheets. You can embed Google Sheets. Yeah, you can embed the Google Sheet charts inside of Notion and then update the Google Sheet. Um, I think that's probably as close as you're going to get, I think. Unfortunately, but then Notion isn't a spreadsheet. And I don't think it ever will be, to be honest, because it's, it's it's not that focused. So um, that's exactly what I mean. There you go. Sound, sounds like we answered that question. The only reason you need embed is to just display a certain small set of, let's bring it up on screen so everyone knows what I'm reading, um, small set of data for informational purpose. Yeah, yeah. What I will say that's kind of interesting, LogSeq. It allows you to have a page embed. So you can embed a another page from LogSeq inside itself. So I could embed a page that's like another page inside the page. And I was like, that's cool. And I can edit the page. Like I can edit. Say I've got like two pages. Page one. And then inside page one, I have an embedded version of page two. I can edit page two inside of the embedded version of page one. Like that's pretty cool. I like that feature. <laughs> Uh, but LogSeek is on like version 0.011, I think. <laughs> it's a very new app. Yeah. It's okay. similar to Obsidian and Rome. It has graph views. It's got backlinks, unlinked references, and things like that. So, yeah. LogSeek is spelled LogSec. L-O-G-S-E-Q. Explored that one on Twitch. But, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, like a global block, but a whole page. Yes, yes, uh, but it's not. I, I guess yeah, it's because it is mirrored. So essentially, instead of having to click through the page, 
it's just there. It's just embedded there. Um, and yeah. you can put that in a toggle block or in a, anything because it's just like a normal block. Uh, so it's essentially like a window into the page. And I was like, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> so yeah, basically like a global block and you can, you can embed any page in there. So you could be in your dashboard and you could have like your, your, I don't know, your, project dashboard page or task dashboard page and your business dashboard page embedded in your main page and then just edit all of those pages there and just open the toggle why you'd want to do that i don't really know but you just could mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there, there aren't columns in logseek at the moment so it's it's still like an obsidian rome type format uh, plus there are some local drives uh, local stories as well so it's it's a promising application it's still a little bit clunky um but it's still like version 0.09 or 11 or 10 or whatever it's at now so but yeah yeah okay i, I think that's a, a good place to sort of uh, close out the stream having streamed for over two hours now Whoop. <laughs> Whoop. <laughs> uh for those that are just joining you can you can go back and watch the replay the replay will be available on youtube the whole time uh i will be streaming tomorrow a q a stream probably around seven ish my time so 7 p.m my time um and i won't be streaming on twitch monday just like a heads up for those that do watch twitch i'm gonna say it in this today and tomorrow i'm not streaming on monday because i'm driving to plymouth and back dropping off my sister for uni uh, so i won't be streaming then so i will be streaming tomorrow doing a q a uh thanks bass for coming on do you have any uh, anything else to add before we close out the stream? That is always wonderful. Just uh, following a couple of squirrels uh, in an evening like this, because it's uh, it's it's amazing. Like how we like when it talks tech stuff, there's always more to to figure out, and uh, I always end up like with like with a good session. It's like oh, I need to look at these two tools and see if I have time to actually dive into it. So that Logseek is definitely going onto my uh, play and fiddle around on Sunday. Uh, set sounds good sounds good uh good stream boys have a nice weekend yes gabriel (laughs) and you and you so thank you everyone have a good morning evening afternoon whatever time it is where you are and i'll see you guys tomorrow